We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the MPW Digital Pregame Show presented by Walk-On's Sports Bistro. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, as we always do, uh, it's Pete DeWeese will join us for an X and O preview of uh, Ole Miss and Liberty. They get started at 11 a.m. on Saturday, Vault-Hemingway Stadium. We'll talk uh, around the SEC with Ryan Brown of Next Round Live. We'll also uh, visit with Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 ESPN in Memphis. College football, the big national picture. Also, Ole Miss and Liberty talk with him. And then Barstool Sports Ben Mintz will join us, talk about the weekend ahead and the college game and the NFL from a betting perspective. Again, it's 15th ranked Ole Miss at 6-2. and two, Liberty at 7-2, and two, former coach Hugh Freeze. Now at Liberty going against Lane Kiffin. In his second year at Ole Miss, the game begins at 11 a.m. You can see it on the SEC Network. Uh, Liberty, as I said, 7-2 and two after a convincing win last week over UMass. The Flames have wins over Campbell, Troy, Old Dominion, UAB, Middle Tennessee, North Texas, and UMass. They have a pair of three-point road losses to Syracuse and to Louisiana Monroe. A few notes about the show. The uh, Normally, we put the show on video. I prefer to keep it on video. Putting it on here, there's a handful of people who've said, hey, I, I don't ever see it, haven't had a chance. So I want you to kind of hear what the content is. I think you'd really like it. The content with Pete DeWeese is, uh, is pretty visually oriented. So if you're listening to this, you're missing out on one of the best things we do. A lot of X and O content on the uh, video portion of the site. So maybe you'll hear that and be inclined to go check it out next week when Ole Miss gets ready to play Texas A&M in Oxford. Um, Anyway, uh, we'll also tell you a little bit about walk-ons. They put everything they've got into bringing you game day with the taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering Louisiana cuisine, uh, po'boys, gumbo, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, fan favorites like juicy burgers, fresh salads, quality fresh ingredients you can't help but crave, Uh, Coming soon in the next couple of weeks, Walk-On Sports Bistro at 1737B University Avenue in Oxford. They're open right now at uh, um, 720 Highland Colony Parkway in Ridgeland. They're in the Jackson area. So if you're in the Jackson area looking for a place to enjoy uh, college pro football this weekend, can't recommend Walk-Ons more. Great environment, great food, great beer selection, great service, everything it's fantastic. Uh, you get to go in, watch the games. They'll have all the games on. Make sure you tell your server uh, which game you want to watch. He or she will put it on a TV near you. Uh, sign into the app. They have rewards, all sorts of things there at Walk-Ons. It's just a fantastic experience. 
So I'm not going to do this where I do transitions one by one. You'll just hear them. We'll do uh, Pete Deweese first, followed by Ryan Brown, then Jeffrey Wright, Ben Mintz. I'll have a quick little wrap on the end. Hope you guys enjoy this. Please subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel. Hit the like button. And if uh, you haven't been watching on YouTube and you like this, make sure to check it out next week when we get ready for Ole Miss and Texas A&M. But for now, the focus is on Ole Miss and Liberty. Here's uh, Pete Deweese. Pete Deweese joins us, as he always does, for the MPW Digital pregame show presented by Walk-Ons. Pete, good to have you with us. Uh, it's a beautiful hat you have on there. That is, that is. I mean, I've never seen you look so handsome. I, I feel official. Um, my wife liked the hat when I got it out of the box. So, who um, I mean, you know, hey, like I'm, I'm proud to wear it. I've got a visor to hit the golf course with. So, um, we're in good shape over here. You know, the visor thing is a thing I'm very jealous about because I like visors. Bald guys can't wear visors. It's just, <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it is an interesting look for a bald guy. I'll, I'll say this. I love the style visor you guys have. It's the big golf visor. It's, the, it's not the little tiny. I, I'm all in on that style visor. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I'm with you. I've got long curly hair, so that that helps me pull off the visor look. Oh, absolutely. If I had, if I had your hair, I would wear a visor maybe every day of the week. Uh, I fire Matt Nagy every Sunday for the visor. Uh, (laughs) I I just, every time I look at him, I went, no wonder we suck. I mean, it's you, it's that stupid visor. That's has nothing to do with the offensive line has nothing to do with a rookie quarterback. It's your stupid ass visor on your bald head. It's blame it on the visor. That is why we suck. You know, I, I, uh, he probably has had some people mention that to him. And honestly, he probably looks at it after every game and goes, I wonder if I try something different next week. Cause, uh, coaches can be funny about that kind of stuff. There's no doubt about that. So, all right, let's, uh, we're going to get to Liberty in a second, Hugh Freeze. And I know that you're familiar with some of the Liberty players, including the most high profile Liberty player. I, I just want to touch on the Auburn game. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't, um, your thoughts on what happened Saturday night, you and I were talking right before we hit the button. To me, it was all Drummond went down. They struggled in the red zone. I know a lot of people have talked about the officiating. I think we can all agree the officiating was poor. I, I have a hard time pinning the game on officiating, though. The the, the officiating was bad. Um, th- there are certainly plays that because of officiating or maybe because of what they didn't call completely swung momentum. Um, you know, but it, it, at the end of the day, Ole Miss didn't play well. Um, and they owned up to that, you know, which, which I, I, I think was, um, I was curious to see how some of those guys would handle it. But like Corral said, he, he missed guys. He, he missed throws that he normally makes. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about the analytics and, and the fourth down, the fourth and three, fourth and two, whatever it was down in the red zone where Corral just misses the receiver. You know, that is the go-to play for Ole Miss in that situation. They window dress it. They have about four different ways to do it, but it is ultimately it's a wall screen. You're getting your tight end in the flat. Everybody's blocking for him, and it has been money. Even when the defense has defended it well and Matt has had to make some type of Pat Mahomes off-balance, off-platform throw, it's worked all season long. Last Saturday night, those things weren't working. And whether part of that's on the ankle, I, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, 
But the bottom line is I, I think they owned up to it. You know, we talked last week, worried about the, the matchup up front um, with, with the Ole Miss defense versus Auburn's offense. And, you know, Auburn did what I kind of feared they would do. They, 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 they tested Ole Miss early, saw it was working, and they never got away from it. Um, Bo Nix gave Ole Miss a chance in the third quarter. Outside of a few plays in the third quarter, I thought he was good. He, he was more of the Bo Nix we've started to see this year in that offense. I think Bobo's done a great job with him. Um, and the offensive line for Ole Miss played better than I expected, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a matchup that was not good for them. And, and I'm not going to lie and tell you they were great. Um, but but they actually performed better than I anticipated at several stretches in the game. But you're right. You 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 know, you lose your best playmaker on the outside. And shout out to Jacor Pearson and and the way that he stepped up. He's he's starting to emerge. Somebody else better, right? Um so can I ask and, you this? Because you're a yeah. coach. You're a coach and you're around, I know you're around high school kids, and it's different. But you're around, you play, you play, you coach and coach against some really good players. What is it? And I'm not asking you to throw anybody under the bus or anything like that, because I'm just I'm genuinely just curious. The one, one of the handful of positions, like if you tell me that a kid as a true freshman, hey, he's an offensive tackle, it's going to take him a minute. I'm like, okay, I get it. Uh, a quarterback, it's going to take him a little time. I get it. A linebacker, it's going to take him a little time. I get it. Wide receivers, for the most part, if you if you have SEC skills, you can play SEC level as a freshman. Lots of teams do. What is it about Ole Miss that right now? And, and listen, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, Braylon Sanders is out now. Drummond's got a hamstring. Jonathan Mingo's got a broken foot. It's a big deal, and I, there's obviously going to be a fall off. But you don't see any of the young guys really contributing, really playing, whether it's Braylon Brown or, or J.J. Henry or, or Brandon Buckalter, And even to some extent, they're having a hard time getting contributions out of Jaden Jackson and Dennis Jackson. Is that, a, is that an evaluation? Is it development? Is it, is it the tempo? Is it some combination thereof? It, it's a little different in every situation. You know, it, it's kind of funny. Um, I was having this exact conversation earlier this week. Um, the two receiver coaches on our staff, one is Ronnie Daniels from Florida, played at Auburn, spent a little time, played some professional baseball, spent a little time in the NFL. Tell um, Ronnie I said hello. I covered him at Auburn. Yeah, right. Great guy. Really, really enjoyed working with him. But me, Ronnie, and then our other wide receiver coach um, is a guy named Keon Humphreys. He's from Montgomery, Alabama, was a wide receiver at Mississippi State. Um, so both guys that, that played that position, played at a big level, and, you know, we were talking about that and not specifically about receivers at first, and it kind of headed that direction. And Ronnie brought up, you know, you you look at all these teams that go get young receivers out of Florida, and if you pay attention, a lot of times they're always on the home sideline, and it's a hitch, it's a fade, it's a slant, it's a curl. Because they're, they're very basic, they're very standard. Kids start running that at a very young age. And, oh, by the way, there's somebody on the sideline that when in doubt can tell him what to do if the coverage look changes, right? Um, and and we talked about that. I thought about the time that I was at Ole Miss and some of the guys that we brought, just for example, out of Florida, guys like Alan Abrams that was a highly recruited running back, um, Danny Bell, a highly recruited safety, and they were guys that for different reasons never saw the production or the playing time match the accolades. And, and sometimes it's about evaluation. It is, um, you know, sometimes it's just 
there's so much growth between what you're asked to do in high school to what you're asked to do in college. And that's, um, you know, that there are some very successful high school coaches that get away with doing very little in, in what they ask their kids to do. There's other high school coaches that, that whether it's because they have the ability to, or because they have to be a little bit more complex. And so, um, those kids that come out of those high school programs tend to have a little bit more early success, I think, at the next level, right? And so, um, you know, in Texas, where high school football is so good, you have some very high-level coaching. You get some really good coaching in Oklahoma. Um, the coaching in Georgia is outstanding. Um, and then pockets all over the place. I mean, there's really good high school coaching going on right now. And, and so, you know, some of it is what system did they come out of and how much is there to learn? And, and, and then when you're looking at the system that they're coming into, how much route deviation exists? Like how much structure is there in what he is supposed to do? Does the route change based off of coverage? Does the route change, you know, pre-snap, am I identifying, okay, this is man-to-man, I have to do this? or it's too high, I'm here, it's one high, I'm here. You know, the more of that that goes on, the longer it takes most kids to get on the field. One of the things that Ole Miss talked about, I think it was the Tennessee game, I maybe know, or I don't recall which game it was. There was a game where all of a sudden they're moving Drummond around a lot more. And it was, uh, it was a home game. It was uh, LSU. It was LSU game. Yeah, Moving Drummond around a lot more. And Kevin talked about it. Our tempo had to be sacrificed a little bit because we're moving him around. Well, in theory, if they're a little bit more stationary with the alignment of those guys, it might be a little easier for a younger guy to learn system, right? Hey, I'm always out wide on the left, right? This is, this is the scheme. This is what, you know, as you start moving guys around, it's more to learn. It's more to, more to adjust to. Um, and so, so there's just so many different factors. There's no way to, to peg a specific one. A lot of times it's just cerebral, right? Kid can be a smart kid and, and doesn't process game speed the way they need to process. Um, a kid can also be a kid that doesn't excel in the classroom and for whatever reason it all clicks on the field. So it's just, you know, part of it is how the mind works. Part of it is the system you come out of. Um, as well as the system that you come into. Um, and, and there's no real way, you know, the NFL gets to give the wonder look. And is that a true indicator of what success is going to look like on the next level? No, right? But they have that. They're, they're, they're you know, the ACT or the SAT is not an equivalent for, for a college coach. The conversations that you have in the living room with the kid, you, you can only put them on the board so much. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it's hard. I, I've read some of the articles and I've seen some of the posts on the board um, where, where people talk about that. But there's just there are so many factors. And, you know, when when the other thing is with some of those young guys, you go into camp and maybe you don't get a ton of reps, not just because of where you are from an understanding and a knowledge standpoint, but because there are guys ahead of you that they know they have to count on. So all of a sudden your time comes and you haven't had those reps. So the growth has been minimal, right? There's, yeah. there's just, there, there's too many factors. Along those lines, and then we'll get into Liberty after this, because um, the Auburn game is the Auburn game, but we saw in the second half when there was no Dontario Drummond other than as a decoy on a play that 
the offense looked different with uh, Jakura Pearson and Casey Kelly and John Rice Plumley and Jaden Jackson and some Dennis Jackson, the guys that ended up playing a bunch of snaps. Assuming, and I am assuming, that that's the personnel that you have going forward, uh, at least this week against Liberty. How much does that restrict your playbook? And is this make it? Uh, and this might be one of the things that you're you're planning to get into in just a minute. How much of that does it say? Hey, look, no matter how many people they put in the box, we're about to run at you. You know, I I think some of it is um, one of the things that stood out to me is one of the places where Drummond has been so effective is in the RPO game. The RPO game went away a little bit to some degree, I thought, late in the game against Auburn. When they needed to drop back and throw the ball, they had some opportunities, right? They missed on a couple, but they they had some too. They made some plays when they got in those situations, but they rely so much on their ability to run the ball and use their RPO game. Um, and, and that's, you know, it, the RPOs can be a very nuanced thing. It, it, it's everything's reacting on the fly. Um, and, and you, you are in sync with a guy like Drummond and you know, he knows where to tuck in behind that backer. Now, all of a sudden it's somebody different. Well, if that's Pearson, you're looking at a completely different body type than totally, Drummond, totally. Right. Yeah. And okay. It's not Pearson. So who is it? It's, it's, you know, Maybe somebody with a similar body type, but not with the same connection, not somebody you've worked with enough to trust them, to anticipate that they're seeing things the same way. Um, so that, that, that'll be interesting to me. I, I don't think in this game and in some of the games coming up, as far as finding passing game production when they need it, I, they'll be able to manufacture things. Um, it's, it's in the RPO game. How much does that change? I think that's going to be an interesting piece of this until they get the puzzles back. So, Ole Miss Liberty, uh, I think I've allowed you to share the screen, so take it away. All right. All right. So, Ole Miss Liberty. Um, you know, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about Liberty's defense, but there's some things that, you know, I watched them a little bit on film. I went and looked at some numbers, scratched my head, went back to the film, kind of back to the numbers. On paper – they're 10th in the country in total defense, 13th in the country in scoring defense, fifth in passing yards allowed. But you look at their strength of schedule, and they're 126 out of 130. Yeah, let me read this to people in case they don't know. This is who they've played. They've played Campbell, who is only slightly better at football than my daughter, Campbell. They've played Troy, the one by eight. They played Old Dominion who's very good at women's basketball back in the day. They played Syracuse and lost. They went to UAB, got a very nice win. When UAB opened their schedule, it's probably the most impressive win on their schedule. Yep. They beat Middle Tennessee uh, at home. They went to uh, Louisiana Monroe, which is excellent at water skiing. I mean, we, we will kick your ass in water skiing. But we're not a particularly good football team, and they lost in Monroe, 31-28. to 28. They went to North Texas, which is not a good team, and they won by nine. And they played UMass, which would lose to my daughter Campbell. They beat UMass 62 to 17. So keep that in mind when you look at any of their numbers and that kind of thing. And I'm not being critical of Hugh Freeze and his program, but they've not played anyone. 
outside. No, it, it's it, it's realistic. I mean, Syracuse is the best team that they've played this year. They were they were a better football team probably last year, right? Yeah. They go, they beat Virginia Tech. For sure, they, they lose some bodies. Now they have some talented young players on their roster right now, um, but but last year they all the buzz, all this hype at, with games like Virginia Tech. And, and it was much deserved, and they, they brought some of that into this year, but the schedule hasn't matched what it was last year, right? So they, they lose to Syracuse. The UAB win was a nice win, right? Um, but, but you're, you know, again, 126 out of 130 strength of schedule based on the, the metric of the, the website that I was looking at. Um, you know, fifth and passing yards allowed, I think they were like 29th, 28th or something in, in rushing yards allowed. Um, and, and I'm watching it on film and I'm like, man, I'm a little surprised at, at, at some of this, you know, at, at the way some of the numbers looked. And so I, I, I thought it was interesting, but like, you know, UMass, I, I UMass's head coach, Walt Bell is, is a friend. I've known him for several years now. Um, he is a smart offensive football coach. He's, been successful everywhere he was, got on at Florida State when things started going south, ended up leaving there and ended up at UMass. Um, and I'm, I'm watching some of that game, and, and Walt knows they need more talent on that roster. And, and, and I'm watching them, and they're moving the ball, and they're having success on their defense. And then something would happen where they would fall apart, you know, whether it was a sack or an incomplete or a guy that was open. And then all of a sudden you're turning the ball over and – Boom! The defense just flat out can't stop them. UMass had a running back go for like one sixty, right? I mean, I, I I didn't look at the the overall game stats, but that wouldn't shock me because when they 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 did some really nice things to them in the run game and and attacked them. So, um, you know, I the the I'm not overly concerned about Ole Miss's ability um, to 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 score points on Liberty. They're, they're a four two five base. Uh, they mix a lot of different zone and match. Uh, principles they are active with their secondary um and their safeties as i watched the film and kind of compared notes with some of the stats I, you know th they have a lot of experience on defense and that experience is very productive but it's actually the young players on defense that that kind of pop um sometimes um of their top five tacklers one's a junior and four are seniors um but their top two sack guys or freshman. I think one may be a redshirt freshman, but the other's a true freshman that I've coached against the last three years, you know? Um, so, you know, when, when I'm looking at them and I'm watching them play, uh, number 12 is by far their best defensive player, in my opinion. Uh, number 12, Story Jackson. Um, he leads the team in tackles, leads them in tackles for loss. He's tied for third in the team in sacks. He's got an interception. Um, very productive player, very active. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Mark Robinson um, at at uh, at Ole Miss, um, and and so you know, twelve's a good player. He's he's a guy that when you're watching them on defense, he's going to be the dude, right? Um, Ninety one, Kendy Charles is I think a redshirt freshman, leads the team with four and a half sacks. There's not a ton of sacks on that roster for a team that that has such good numbers on paper, there's not a lot of negative plays. There's not a lot of turnovers. Um, they just 
find a way to keep you out of the zone. And, and in some of the games, I think it's because offensively they, they build the lead and they force you out of your comfort zone as, as, as the opposing team, um, which kind of plays into the defense. But the, the Charles kid's not bad. 24, Kill Washington plays a good bit. He's a freshman from Marietta, Georgia, played at Wheeler High School. Um, he's a kid that I spent the last two years game planning for. Um, and now Jeff Lebby's getting that opportunity, you know, and he was a good high school player and he was a kid that we had to make sure. I mean, you know, um, when he was a junior, our left tackle was a kid that's playing at Eastern Kentucky. Now our right tackle was a kid that is playing at Fordham. Um, they're both good players. They handled him with a lot of success. Now it's Nick Broker's turn, right? Who's clearly at a little bit higher level. Than, than my two kids were as much as I love those kids and as good as they were for me. Sure. Nick Brooker is a little more highly regarded. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I, by the, by the way, know, I looked up that number. It was one, the kid for UMass ran for one forty nine. last One forty nine. I mean, that's, I didn't mean if, to interrupt. I just, no, I, no, but I mean, but if you're, if you're Snoop Connor, right. If you're Ely who wants more touches, you know, you have to be looking and, you know, we talked a little bit about Auburn last week. One thing I will say is I think Parrish probably showed us a little bit more last week than maybe he has done um, at, at times. So if you're those kids right now and you're watching them, you know, th there should be some excitement because I do think Ole Miss is going to try to come in. Ole Miss is always trying to run the football. I think that's especially true this week. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to dive into a ton of specifics about what they do defensively just to kind of give you an idea of a, of a basic structure standpoint. This is kind of their base alignment against the traditional two-by-two two set like everybody in college football is going to run. Um, the, the way they play their, their four-man front, it's most typically it's a six-man box. If they do have to widen another guy out of the box, they're typically going to add a safety somewhere so that they can still keep a hat there and run support. But a lot of what they they seem to do is they play a lot of split field coverage principles, okay? So what that means is if you divide the formation in half, they're going to play one half of the field different from a coverage structure than they do the other half of the field. It's not an uncommon thing. A lot of four-man fronts, you know, the big news with Gary Patterson stepping down, but what he's done at TCU, they help make this stuff super popular. So here, what you end up getting, if you count eligible receivers on either side of the ball, you have two receivers here that they're going to match with man-to-man -man principles. So whether he's pressing and he's playing a soft man-to-man, -man, whether he's backed off and he's pressing, or whether both of these guys are playing with depth and they're working a technique where they can pass off and switch defenders, um, you know, they're going to play some type of man-to-man -man principle. To the three-receiver side now, where you have the tailback as a threat, now you can't just lock in and play that man-to-man -man without involving a linebacker. But you need that linebacker to be involved in the run fit. So they play a lot of what's called match principles, where they're, they're almost blending cover three and cover two. So this guy will be man-to-man -man on him, okay, but he'll be playing with some depth. This guy is going to be responsible for anything out with number two. Okay, and he is trying to see this running back in his drop. 
So as this receiver releases, if he feels any presence of this tailback and he should get a call from one of his other defenders, he's going to come off of this and now take the flat and he's going to turn his man-to-man defender, the guy that he's been on, over to the safety and the linebacker, and he's now going to trust them to account for, for that route distribution. If that running back were to do something here and leave so he's no longer a threat, anything vertical or out, this guy is going to carry, which now allows you to bracket him on any type of downfield route. If the same action takes place where he now releases inside, he is going to now turn and get underneath this guy to provide help for the corner and, again, turn that receiver over to the linebacker. So you're building brackets all over your coverage. It's it's very typical for them. Um, how you choose to structure your back end affects how you choose to defend things in the run game. Right, Ole Miss has done a lot of stuff where they have motioned to this guy and run this power read where they're blocking here, reading that defensive end for the quarterback to either keep it or hand it off. Well, from this structure, if they don't change, Ole Miss has a had advantage because they can block account for everybody on the front side, read the play side end. And it's difficult. So I think that Ole Miss is going to use simple formations like this, attack them with tempo, do a lot of the stuff that they would always do. You know, normally they will work zone away from the running back, and they love putting Drummond on this backside slant. Well, if he's outside leveraged and this safety is playing with too much depth, you have a great opportunity now as soon as he feels to work this window underneath the safety. That is a day one RPO. That was play one of the season against Louisville, okay? If this safety starts to get very aggressive, that's where Ole Miss will now start to take shots with the one-on-one matchups to the outside that as an SEC team playing Liberty. You so you tell you. Dennis Jackson, right? Hey, look, this is we're, this is not a SEC corner. Go beat him. We know you can run. Let's go run. Right. Would this be um, a would this be a scenario, Pete, where you know you got a, a quarterback in Matt Corral who's at least on one bum ankle, and you're you're you want to get him well for A and M because A and M's a physical challenge in a way. Yes. Would this be a week that you might? And maybe I know something as I ask this question. This is a little bit of a loaded question. Is this a week that maybe you say, "Hey, we're going to put some of the Plumley stuff on film. We're going to get him in. We're going to run some stuff with John Rice and make A and M at least look at it." I um I, I don't know why you wouldn't. Right. Right. Um if 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 the goal is is to protect, you know, corral a little bit, um, and you you know, I mean, let's be honest, you're you're at Auburn and at what point are you a play away from having to use that more often anyway, right? Yeah, well, yeah. So yeah. My, my, might as well give it reps. Um and so that that that's a real thing and it's a real part of the discussion. For sure. So I, I, I'm curious to see how Ole Miss, I'm curious to see how much they use the quarterback in the run game. I think it'll be sparingly. Um, the one thing that I will say is this, in what I watched of Liberty's defense, when teams were trying to run a ton of gap schemes, so when teams are trying to get big double teams and trying to pull offensive linemen, 
Liberty found some success with their movements and their stunts up front, and they were able to force some teams into negative plays. When teams decided to get in their zone package and run right at Liberty, from a size standpoint, they're not able to hold up against teams that have a good front, right? The biggest player they have on the inside is like, I think he's like Romanian. He's 6'6", you know, maybe three-something. Um, I've got his name written down somewhere, and I, I don't recall what it is off the top of my head. Um, but the rest of their front, they're not big guys. Well, to, you know, to your point, and, and I don't know how many people have really studied Liberty, and I'm interrupting you more. Tonight. I apologize. No, it's, not. it's all good. But this is, to your point, Syracuse, which is of, of the teams that they've played, is probably the closest from a talent standpoint to Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss is far more talented than Syracuse. Make, Agreed. Made a mistake. But Syracuse, I don't know the kids' first names. I apologize if their parents are watching the show. Uh, Tucker for Syracuse ran 32 times for 169 yards. Uh, Schrader ran 16 times for 53 yards. Um, UAB uh, Brown ran nine times for 106 yards. McBride 12 times for 61 yards against Middle Tennessee, who's a bad team. No offense to them. Um, they had no success rushing the football at all. That's why that game completely got away. Uh, ULM. Their leading rusher ran for 80. They had another guy run for 42. You look at North Texas, which is a team that's pretty good at running the football. They're not a very good football team, but they've run the ball fairly well this year. Uh, Adai, I think is how you say his name. If his parents are watching, I apologize. He ran 16 times for 99 yards. Torrey ran for 73. Uh, Ane ran 11 times for 56. I mean, guys are getting five, six yards of carry. And then, again, the, uh, the, the UMass game last week, uh, Merriweather, 24 carries for 149 yards. Chizari, uh, nine carries for 45 yards. That's five yards a pop. I mean, people are pounding them. I mean, that's, well, that's how you beat them. Well, one of, one of the things that is most interesting to this game, as far as I'm concerned, um, you have two quarterbacks that people are talking about getting invited to New York. Ole Miss quarterback, obviously, is coming off a loss where he didn't play that great. And his best way to get back in that conversation is to come out and put up big numbers. So if you're if you're if you're Levy, if you're Kiffin, how much concern is there? Because you look at some of the games early in the season, and it's clear everything's about hey, we're in control. Let's make sure two looks good here, right? Um, and and so how much of that is is part of what they want to do, right? Is is are they going to be content to just let Snoop and Ely and Pearson carry the load? Or do they feel like they need to get to kind of back back up on the mountain a little bit? And then on the flip side of that, you have Hugh Freeze, who knows he's got this kid that that if he gets invited to New York and finishes in the top three, potentially changes the trajectory of his program. Sure. And, oh, by the way, that's your best chance to make this a game. How much of this is truly the Malik show? Right. And how much of it is just you trying to do your normal thing. So I, I think that's that's a real question Ooh. is, is are, are, are we going to be content just running the football on one side, Pete? I would think that Ole Miss is smart enough to go, hey, look, the worst thing we can do is lose the game. Agreed. Let's win the game. 
We got A&M coming in here next week. It's on ESPN, 6 o'clock. It's a big game. It's going to have, uh, you know, access bowl uh, ramifications. Let's get Matt well. Yep. And then I covered Hugh Freeze for a while. So for Hugh, the difference in I need this to be about me and I need this to be about Malik is going to be quite the conflict. And my bet would be, as someone who sat in his office one day as he tried to throw Bo Wallace under the bus and said, you don't want to do this. My bet is that he, Hugh, the, the, the urge to make it about Hugh overrides his, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to make sure that Malik puts up numbers, even if we lose, so that we can trajectory of program. And I know I'm being a jerk here, but I'm, I'm also being serious. You know, the 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 one thing that I, I think any Ole Miss fan would give Freeze credit for, I think he thrives a little bit on the underdog mentality and getting a team to play with a little bit of a chip. Yeah. And quite honestly, part of that is relative to what you're saying because then it's easy to come back and say, look what I did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's, that's the challenge. I mean, I, you're right. That's, that's an interesting point. Um, I, I think that he knows his only chance to walk out of here looking good is if Malik has a big day. Right. And, and I, I think they're going to sell out to make sure that Malik has a big day. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like. I'm not trying to get you ahead of where you were, but you know, him, you know, Malik Willis, you've, what what do you sort of yeah you're about so, to so, so what do you anticipate from him let, let's I let, ken austin's here too it's just that, well that, that that's that's the thing is i mean you know um i'm gonna go through this real quick and then let's talk about malik um sure. so hugh is Hugh. he's he's doing a lot of the same stuff there's been some growth and a lot of that that growth is it, it's added flavor from ken austin and sam Gregg, who's his offensive line coach um, you know, Sam Gregg was with Will Hall, who's been a popular name on the message board for obviously a couple of years. Um, he was with Will at West Isle. He was with Will at West Georgia. Um, and then, you know, when, when Will left, um, uh, Sam Gregg, Josh Aldridge, um, another couple of guys ended up with Hugh in Lynchburg. And um, guys, there's not a ton in Lynchburg. Um, now, granted, the last time I was there was like, 2007 we had I was coaching in Naples Florida at the time we had some players in that program and our whole staff flew up and we spent three days and they literally gave us the keys to the field house and it was an amazing experience um had a had a great time um but uh and they've done a lot to that campus since then I, I know that but um you know those guys have kind of added some flavor particularly in the run game I, I see some things that Hugh Freeze was not doing uh, when he was at Ole Miss, um, he's still a heavy tempo team, heavy RPO, heavy play action. He's got his drop back stuff that he's going to use. Most of his drop back stuff is very simple. Um, where Freeze has always done a good job has been um, with his RPO game and his play action and kind of having beaters where if you give him the expected look, he has something that he's found that he's going to take advantage of it. And I think Ken Austin probably helps him with that. I, I don't know Austin, but I've always heard good things, especially as, as his football mind. 
Um, and, and so I, I think they're they're working well together. You know, one of the big things when you look at them is the, 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 they're spreading the ball to everybody. When he was at Ole Miss, I think sometimes he got caught up in his toys, right? Moncrief got fed until he couldn't eat anymore, and then um, which is fans we loved, right? And then Treadwell's getting touches and nobody else is seeing the ball, you know, um, at, at times, even though, you know, you've got Evan Ingram and some of these other guys on the field with him. Um, the QB is the only feature guy in this offense. Um, when, when you when you look at the numbers, um, and we'll talk about it in a second, the only guy that is featured is Malik. Um, you know, I, I coached against Malik his senior year of high school. Um, he transferred from Westlake High School to Roswell High School at Westlake. He was a quarterback slash safety. A lot of people thought he was a better safety. He's that type of athlete. Um and when, it, when he got to Roswell, um, he was very much unpolished. Now, his quarterback coach at Roswell High School um, is Sean McAvoy. Sean and Quincy Avery are two of the best in the country as far as my as I'm concerned with working with quarterbacks and quarterback development. Um, they, they operate now. And, you know, last summer, every year, they put on what they call flight school. And it's high school kids, middle school kids, but it's also some of the absolute elite quarterbacks in the country. Um, Sean and Quincy, they, they're the guys, they were in the, in the green room with Trey Lance when he got drafted by the 49ers. Um, you know, Justin Fields worked with them some, um, you know, they, they, they have, you know, Hartman, um, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest right now, who's tearing it up. One of their guys. He Clifton is good, by the way, Hartman. Oh, he's, he's Hartman really good. Really good player. Really good. Yeah. Um, Stroud at Ohio state, um, yeah. Uh, Clifford at Penn State. I mean, Quincy and Sean work with a lot of guys. And Sean and I have a good relationship. We've known each other for several years. I go to him about quarterback play. Um, and, and they will tell you flat out. And Sean is a Malik believer, and he is a homer, and he will tell you that. His Twitter feed tells you that, too. Um, but it's because he, he, he started coaching the kid as his high school quarterback coach, and then Sean no longer coaches high school. He just does training now. Um, because they're at that level with what they do. And, um, you know, Sean will tell you, you get all those kids in the room, and when you put them on the field going through workouts, if you could put a mask on their face and no jersey numbers, no nothing, that everything Malik does is as good or better than anybody else they roll out there, regardless of who it is. From an arm strength perspective, the things that they say that they have seen Malik do in person with his arm strength, you know, is, is the kind of stuff that that's what has all of these scouts absolutely enamored. Malik is not a finished product. Uh, when, when he was a senior in high school and I was a defensive coordinator at Milton, they had five Division One players on offense. We had one on defense. It was 0-0 at halftime. Um, my kids played their absolute tails off. We ended up losing. It was 10 nothing at the end of the third. We ended up losing 17-10. Um, but you know, you're talking about, you have Malik who signed with Auburn, obviously before ending up at Liberty, you had a running back that's at Marshall an offensive lineman at North Carolina, Xavier McKinney that starts for the New York giants was a receiver DB. I mean, they were a loaded football team. We had no business being on the field with them, but it was one of the oldest rivalries in Georgia. Um, and at the time you could tell that Malik had all the ability in the world, but he wasn't there yet as a quarterback. He was a first year full-time starter. And when he went to Auburn, we were all like, man, that's either going to be a real big payoff or that's not going to work out because I just – I wasn't sure from a polish standpoint. 
Yeah. And he got to Auburn and early in his career, that was kind of the story, right? He's a great athlete. He's running the ball. Well, he's not doing a great job. Well, basically when Gus told him he didn't think he, he was an elite passer, Malik came home and he went to work. Um, and what he's done with Hugh and what Hugh has done with him has been really good for both of them. Um, you know, you look at it, 66% completion, almost 2,000 yards, 21 touchdowns. The interceptions are there. There are some errant throws that the NFL yeah. guys look at and worry about. His touch on the deep ball, his arm strength to put it in certain windows, it's almost bad for him at times because he knows he's capable of making every throw, and he will try to force some balls that he maybe he shouldn't. He did that in that ULM game a couple of times, and it really hurt him. It, 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 he will force balls into windows, and, and his receivers don't always help him. And, and we'll talk about that in, in, in yeah. just a second. But It's a great point because when people talk about him as an NFL player, right, is you're like, boy, he's got all these physical tools. He doesn't really have a supporting cast around him, linemen, receivers, anything that you can sort of project at the next level. And so you don't know when he gets to the next level, you would know better than me, but I've watched him a couple of times and thought, you know, when that kid gets to the next level, I don't know whether it's going to be overwhelming and a franchise is going to be like, I don't know that we have time for this, or if it's going to be that deal where he gets there and there's these talented receivers to throw to, and he's got maybe a, 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 a stud left tackle to protect him. And they've got some, some coaching and that kind of thing where you can, you can pull him along and the, the I don't the, know. The variance is huge. The, it is. And in, in the NFL is there's so much of the NFL is about fit. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it really is. Right. Sure. Um, you, you look at the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler's not the same quarterback on any other team in the NFL. Yeah. But he's in a system that fits him. Yeah. You, you look at Jalen hurts. He is in a system that has, not altered itself, but has has become more friendly to his skill set, right? Yeah. And as a young quarterback, that's important, you know. Um, if he ends up in a Justin Fields situation where I hate to tell you, but they don't have a lot of talent, especially outside of the running back position who can't stay healthy, right? You can't expect that kid to have a ton of success. You get the leak on the right wearing team. A stupid visor. I mean – i'm sorry go ahead go ahead no but but you get malik on the right team yeah sure in the right system it, things look things could look really good for him sure but but i i think you know when 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 fans want to say oh why is this kid getting all this credit he is getting the pub the publicity his numbers are good but it's potential that's why he is being talked about the way that he is. It's why, Pete, so many NFL GMs are going to be in Oxford That's Saturday. 100%. They want to see, they're like, okay, we've watched him against North Texas and against UMass and against UAB and whatnot. Kind of want to see him against an SEC uh, defense. Kind of want to see him where everybody on his team is overmatched. Can he kind of rise all ships it's 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 not really fair to him but that's kind of what they're watching for this is his biggest job interview of the season oh there's no question about that it, it, until, until he goes to the combine this is his job interview absolutely you know? great point. um and, and it's that's that that's going to be very interesting i mean 
you're looking at a kid that, I mean, he, you know, obviously leads them in passing yards, but he has 40 more carries than their leading running back. And a lot of it's because they do things in the read game, but a lot of it's just designed because he's, he is the best player on the field for them, regardless of who they played. So let me, maybe, can, you know, can I give you some numbers? Yeah, yeah. Here's the, the, the ULM game that they thought they would, they were a 30 point favorite. And as it became obvious that they weren't going to win by 30, Malik Willis threw in that game. Uh, where's passing? He, he threw 28 times. He was 16 for 28, three interceptions, 135. He ran 23 times for 157 yards against ULM. The next leading rusher rushed 11 times for 35 yards. I mean, the, the, it was the entire offense was here. Go make a play. And, and it's, it's, it's going to be that way on Saturday. Um, I, I, I'm not going to tell you he's like KJ and, and when Arkansas rolled to town, um, because I honestly, honestly, he's a better passer than, than Jefferson is at this point. He does not have nearly the talent that Jefferson has. I was going to say, him. dude, there's no trail on Right. There, there's, there, no, it, it's not close. <laughs> yeah. um, but when you look at a game plan, that's what I anticipate. I guarantee that Freeze and Ken Austin sat down and they watched that Arkansas game 10 times. And and you're going to see if, if, you, if you're bored and you got nothing to do Friday night, um, log in and watch that game. And then Saturday, see how much you recognize it. Because there's going to be some things. I don't have a doubt in my mind. Um, you know, because he he's their offense. And then, like I was saying, he is the one standout. I mean, 126 carries for him, 684 yards. The next leading rusher is at 81 carries. You know, and then you're 59 or 56, and then it's a huge drop-off. You look at their receiver numbers, okay? Nobody over 37 catches. And, you know, I just listed the top five. There's like four more guys that are at like 12, 11, 9, like all just chunked there together. Now, one of the things you notice is, as I make big random marks across the screen, <laughs> is this top two receivers or yeah. freshmen? Yeah, yeah. Right? Now, Noah, and I know Noah because, again, he's from this area. My wife actually taught him his senior year of high school. Um you know, Noah's a redshirt sophomore. He's six four. I don't think any of these other dudes are above six feet tall. I think I think Douglas and Daniels. I think you're both looking at like five nine kids. You're talking about smaller kids. You know, I, I think they're you know one of them. I remember looking up. It's a Florida kid, right? You're talking about small guys that are shifty, can make you miss in space. But you know, one of the things that when you look at and you talk about Malik throwing into some coverage and not having guys that can go make him right, you're looking at a 5'9 freshman going to compete for a ball against maybe a 6'1 safety. Douglas, by the way, Pete, is 5'8", 170. Daniels is uh, – they've got him listed at 6'2", 205. Okay. Am I, Stubbs, hey, no, you, you, here's where you're, you're – here's the guy you're thinking about. Stubbs is 5'9", 180. Stubbs is 5'9". That's okay. Yeah. You know, so again, so okay, six two. That's a good size kid. I'll give and him that. Shea, that the Shea kid, that, Kevin. That explains Shea, number, the seven touchdowns. Number two is is five ten one seventy. Kevin Shea, a redshirt senior. So you know, but so you look at it that there's not a ton of size, and and these two kids they can play, right? They're they're not bad players. Um, 
but they're they're not the the typical six two outside receivers that are going up and competing for balls down the field for you. Um, you know, I, I thought we'd just take a real quick minute, look at a couple of um couple of formations and and things that that you know again these are things that that Hugh some of it Hugh's done for a long time some of it he hadn't um you know the the one of the big things that I saw in the three different games that I, I tried to watch parts of is um and and Hugh did it a ton when he was at Ole Miss um he loves to run all hitches which is as basic and simple of a pass concept as you can get okay he also loves to use, and he did this a ton when he had Evan Ingram at his tight end spot, okay? He would run a lot of the three-by-one Y-stick concept where you're putting him vertical, he's on a speed out, and he's going to run a little outside stick route, okay? They like this formation. The way Ole Miss likes to align defensively, they're going to force you to make some decisions with how you're going to play your coverage on the back side. He'll work some type of a hitch or stop route, and they like to convert that into a fade or a hitch and go ball if they get the matchup that they like. Um, with their, you know, not being big on the perimeter, they're sudden, right? So you try to take advantage of that and you use little double moves and and quick things like that. So these are the kind of things that, you know, as I watched every game, you start to see um, a, a ton of. Same type of concepts. They'll take this tailback now and put him out here and get in an empty set, and they'll essentially do the same thing. They'll give you the same concept to the field. They'll mirror that concept into the boundary where he's now vertical. He's got an out route. And what you're doing now, especially when you have a guy like, you know, Willis at quarterback, is if you start expanding guys outside of the box, you now open it up to the quarterback draw, which is obviously, I mean, it's a big part of Ole Miss's season. It's, it's something that, you know, fans are, are kind of used to seeing. So they, they do a good job of finding what's the coverage you like or prefer to be in versus this set. Okay. Are we better throwing a hitch? Are we better throwing something outside? And if you're rotating safeties, what can we do on the backside to win a one-on-one matchup? It's very simple. It's easy. It's easy to adjust within a game. It's it's a, a big part of, of what you'll see those guys do, okay? They will also take that same three-receiver set, and they'll get into what a lot of people call a cluster set. They call it bunch. If these guys are in here close to the line, they call it cluster as they get out wide. So there's a lot of things that when you do this, you know, you force a, a defense to, again, kind of predetermine and, and, and show the quarterback how they're going to play it. They will take these same concepts and they'll do the same thing where they start this guy out here, motion him in and start him on the snap from a running position. So it's a way for them to kind of take the same concepts, window dress it, make it look a little bit different for the defense. Um, one of the big ones that I, I kept seeing repeatedly here is, is, is it's a play that a lot of teams will run from this look, but you get a little bit more predictable coverage when you cluster those receivers together. So what they'll do is they'll inside release this guy and he's going to push vertical and his whole job is to outrun the safety. If he outruns the safety, he's getting the football, right? If he doesn't outrun the safety, it means that that safety has now had to carry him and you've just sacrificed yourself for somebody else. They then took 
this receiver and they put him on what's called a pull route. He's going to run a hitch. And if there's nobody there and the quarterback's got to get it out of his hand, he's going to throw it. And when he turns around, if the ball's not out, or if he feels a defender on his hip, he is going to stick his foot in the ground and work back to the outside. Okay. This outside receiver runs what a lot of people call either a dagger or a hammer. Okay. He's going to push vertical. And when he gets to his break point, which is usually at about 12 yards, maybe 15, okay, he's going to start to work inside. If he feels that there is still a safety inside, it almost turns into a curl route. If that safety has lifted and followed that seam, he's going to continue to work into the first dig window that he can find. So what you're doing, right, when you, when you think about it, you're, you're attacking zone principles by saying, okay, he is going to vacate this zone. He, on this pull route, his whole job is to grab this defender and pull him out to the flat with my route. And if I can do that effectively, I've opened up this window for this receiver to now find space. So as a defense, you have to figure out, okay, how, how am I going to handle it? Well, you can put a guy man-to-man -man here, bring this safety down and play what's called I.O., or alert where now these two guys are essentially reading these two and the corner is going to take the first outside release and the safety is going to take the first inside release. Well, if that's the case, when I release outside and stem vertical, I'm going to go with it. When I stack, whoops, excuse me, my mouse is acting crazy tonight. When I stack behind him, if I go to drive this route, one, I've opened up the one-on-one -on -one matchup here and vacated this space for the one-on-one -on -one matchup there. <clears throat> if the corner sees this route and comes off on it, this receiver's pushing vertical, it forces him to open hips, which again, typically opens up the underneath space. So there's a lot of ways when you get into those cluster sets that you can manipulate some things. You know, they can bring this safety over. Now you've created what's almost assuredly a one-on-one -on, -one on the backside where they can give you any combination of routes they want. So the challenge for Ole Miss will be to win here. Which And I'll frankly be shocked if they don't. The way that they – you can say what you want, and, and maybe this is the one place where I would look at officiating last week and, you know, um, generated pass rush. There were times where jerseys seemed to be getting stretched a little thin, and there were times where there were some maybe blocks in the back and some, you know, Ole Miss generated pass rush. What they did not do that they had done against LSU is they didn't finish the play, right? Whether that's because of Bo Nix's athleticism, which Malik Willis is about to take that up a notch, right? Or it was because of – officiating or Auburn's O-line, whatever you want to say, right? Auburn's, or excuse me, Liberty's getting up 29 sacks on the season. Ole Miss has to get home, period, right? They have to be able to generate pass rush with three or four, and they have to be able to finish plays. 
you know, he can't he can't walk off this field without being put on his back several times, and Ole Miss feel good about how they play defensively. Because you're spying him with a linebacker a lot, right? I mean, you're 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 you can't just bring the house and let him start. Running I, I I would anticipate them playing in, and part of that anticipation is because they've done it so much all season long. Yeah, right. Um, but but the way he has athletically, yeah, they're they're gonna leave a hat for him, um, as much as they possibly can. Um, you know. This is a common formation throughout college football. It's one that freezes loved a lot. Here's what I will tell you. Okay. They'll run it. They love running counter here um, where they will pull a guard, pull this tight end, and hand it off. They work different RPOs, whether it's a bubble or a slant or a fade. They'll work several different things. They'll work inside zone which is a, a big one that we see every week because everybody in America runs it where they're working here with some type of RPO action here. But when you see this type of set where you get this tight end and this tailback on the same side in particular, they are a heavy play action team. Okay. They are going to slide their line away from the tight end. He's going to take the first thing outside and this back is going to come off the fake and he's responsible for anything that comes off the edge. They have a few different things that they'll do on the outside. The big one that I seem to see is they'll take this outside receiver and put him on a hitch route, and this inside receiver, I believe, is running an option route. If he sees one safety in the middle of the field like I have drawn, he's going to work this slot fade or seam window, and he's going to trust Malik to throw it in that window. If the corner jumps on the hitch, he's going to throw that ball to the outside and we're going to aim for the top of the numbers and he's going to let that thing fly and he's going to throw you away from the safety. If you're seeing cover three, when this guy runs a hitch, as this corner gets depth, he's going to give a smash, smash, smash call, which tells this guy to funnel off to the flat. And when that happens now, this guy is going to get his head around and stay more vertical and you're going to try to throw it into this same window between these two defenders. So they, they love working that on the back side. They can work similar type choice routes. They can work a straight up vertical. They can almost do anything they want on the back side again, based off the coverage that they're getting. They'll work the same thing where they'll work post routes with the deep out. And you build these simple concepts into your system, and they're all about coverage. If you see them running this post in an out route, it's almost a guarantee that Ole Miss is playing some type of a cover four look where you've got this safety sitting on the hash. It means this star is probably a little bit wider. And what you're doing now is you throw this post is he's reading the safety. If the safety stays back, you're counting on this out route to win and if the safety drives the out route and stays flat-footed you're counting on the outside receiver who's replacing his landmark to get behind him now and win against the corner right against Ole Miss who mixes a lot of coverages I think that slot fade or seam variation is one that you're likely to see but they love this formation for a lot of different reasons, I do a lot of things. One of the interesting things they do out of it is they'll take that backside single receiver 
and they'll flip him over. And when they start to get in un, kind of unconventional formations, and this isn't a crazy formation, it's been popular for several years now, but this is where they really like to get um, they really like to get Malik involved. Okay. They will take this tailback and put him on the backside, and we go back to the numbers conversation that, that we have every week. They will give him an easy bubble RPO over here. Where pre-snap, if he has an advantage, he's going to throw it out there and trust his guys to make a play. Then in the run game, again, this guy's on the other side, they will lead for him. Then they will run counter, kind of like I had drawn up a second ago, where now they are bringing all these extra hats to the party. And because of Malik's athleticism, you get plus one in the run game where now you don't have the extra hat to account for the quarterback. So they do a really good job of getting in these type of formations to create lanes specifically for him as a runner. Okay. So uh, those are the type of things that I, I think you'll see a lot of um, just kind of, kind of some others um, same type formation, but now instead of this guy being over here to run the bubble, they've put him over here where he's going to give you the same type thing off of a jet sweep look. If Ole Miss is doing that, it's either to read the front side defensive end and hit downhill or to fake it and run back this way. What Auburn or what Auburn, what, what Liberty likes to do is they'll bring this same guy here. They will get all of these guys out in front of him as a blocker, but they will still read it and now they will pull, read this end, where now if he is wide or upfield, Malik will keep it and go back the other way with the run game. And if that defensive end squeezes and attacks Malik, he's going to hand it off, and they're going to count on getting speed on the edge. So it's almost so like a reverse slash bootleg kind it, of a thing. It, it blends it's it's true old school misdirection football yeah. it is it is truly the modern wing t in that standpoint mm -hmm. because you have to commit numbers to this action or they will just hand it off and eat you alive but if you commit too many numbers and you don't build the wall and turn it back to your help you're going to allow the quarterback to hit his head on the goalpost going out the back door, right? So they do a really, really good job with that stuff. When they need a play, they're going to Malik's legs. So one of the ways they do it, similar, a little bit different formation. Now there's two tight ends on the field. They've got one here and they've got one here, okay? So what they'll do is, and, and I thought this was an interesting with, that they ran um, – I saw it against, I think, ULM and UMass, and they were a little bit different front structure than, than what Ole Miss is. But they blocked down on everybody they could. And so, like, against UMass and their four-man front, they blocked those two down, and they literally pulled every other offensive lineman except for the backside tackle who went here. So what they did now with, uh, with the tailback, was they, and I'm just looking at my notes to make sure I'm not lying to you, they put the tailback here following all these pullers, 
and then he read this backside in. And if that end chases the pullers, here's Malik out the back door with the convoy. Well, what happened for UMass was this guy set to play Malik, handed it off, and now they got bodies out in front with the place to go gash. So they're doing some really interesting things to get guys out in front, and it's the ability of being able to use Malik's legs and willingness to use his legs that, that makes them effective in the run game. That's why he's got 40 more carries than, than anybody else. Um, but they'll also use this to, to get into play action stuff, the same play action stuff I showed you earlier. They'll also fake things here to the running back um, and get into some traditional bootleg actions where he's going to get out and he's reading a traditional flood. It's one of the things we looked at. Auburn had success with it last week. Liberty's already got it in the playbook. Expect to see it. One of the things, they do a really nice job in the red zone, and, and I know that's where a lot of Ole Miss fans found frustration with Freeze when he was in Oxford. But Malik's ability has given them a chance to do some things. So one of the nice ones that I, I saw him run earlier this season out of this formation was that they faked the zone this way. And they put him on a corner route and they bring him back across into the flat so that as Malik reads the end and the end squeezes, he pulls it. It is very difficult, especially in red zone, short yardage, goal line situations. You have to make a decision on what you're going to do with this player. If he attacks the quarterback, you leave a player wide open in the flat. If he takes the player to the flat, then, you know, you have a chance for the quarterback to run. So they do a nice job, and like I said, specifically in these kind of red zone, short yarded situations of finding extra hats, stressing the defense, and kind of attacking you um, where, where you're at your worst. This is almost a guarantee on Saturday, and this is kind of where I'm going to end it for the night, is they love to put the tight end fullback and tailback all on the same side. They've got different things that they'll do out of it, different run game, different pass game. But in a short yardage situation where they need it the most, they are going to get everybody running stretch to the left. He is going to lead through for the first thing he can find, and it is a direct snap to Malik to go find it. Go he is their cards. short yardage quarterback, yep. or he is their short yardage running back. He is their long yardage running back. He is their quarterback. I mean, he he is what makes them go a thousand percent. Um, you know, from from a from a X and O standpoint, from a you know, from an X and O standpoint, they do a good job of finding ways to, to get hats and do some different things to, to get him involved, both with his legs and with his arm. Um, from a physical matchup standpoint, Ole Miss has faced teams that do similar things with much more talent. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so what it comes down to is, is, you know, if this is Malik's job interview, how much can he impress? Um, because Ole Miss should have the bodies. They should have the talent. How, how does it look on Saturday? In my opinion, he's a much better passer. I mean, a million times better than, than Jefferson. But he's not as good of a runner as Jefferson, in my opinion. I think he Jeff is. He, he's faster than Jefferson. Um, maybe a little bit more shifty. He's not the big body that's as hard to tackle. As right. Me. He's not going to power you the way that no. KJ no. does. Not, 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 not in the same way at all. Is this a game Ole Miss can lose, or do you think this is okay? I mean, you can lose any game. Um, I, ultimately, I think that that if Ole Miss is 
if Ole Miss can play the guys that are at their most healthy right now, they're going to be okay, right? Um, I, I just – for a guy that typically is not overly confident, I, I think you have to feel good about this one. Yeah. Outside of Malik, I, I don't know how many other guys on that side. But, again, you know, when Freeze's back is against the wall, that's when his teams oftentimes seem to play the best, right? That's true. I mean, there's so, a couple – couple of his games from Ole Miss that you're like, how did they do it? And they did it. There, there are guys that have a knack for doing that. Um, and, and, and when you have a special player that Malik Willis has the potential to be, you know, it can be scary, but no, I, I, I if you told me Ole Miss wins this by 30, if you told me they win it by 10 and none of it would shock me. If Ole Miss were healthy, I, there'd be no, it's a blowout. Yeah. Yeah. They, because they'd score 60 points. Yes. Yeah. Pete, appreciate the time. We'll be back next week to preview a completely different animal in Texas. A I mean, boy, A&M's, A&M's good. A&M and Auburn's an interesting game Saturday. Uh, I, I'm about to make a pick on Neil's picks. Who do you like, A&M or Auburn? Where is that game? Texas A&M. I, I, you know, I would probably take A&M mainly because it's at A&M. Honestly, if it were at Auburn, I think I'd take Auburn. It's a toss, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 two similar styles of play. Um, Jimbo is really freaking good at game planning. Um, but, but they haven't been stable at the quarterback position. And, 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 and until they just want to fully commit on giving the ball to Spiller, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. Auburn's probably the more complete offense, even though yeah. A&M probably has more talent. Yeah. Right? Um, defensively, I don't know what to make of A&M. I haven't watched enough of them. What I watched was against Arkansas where they didn't look very good. Didn't look good. They've played a lot better since then. Yeah. Yeah. So, But yeah, that, game, I, uh, that game sticks out because Knicks can do a lot of those things. Yes, he can. So, it, it, it'll be interesting. I um, It's probably, you know, a&M plays a different brand of ball than the rest of the SEC right now, and Auburn's probably the closest to that. Yeah. So I, it, it, it'll be a good physical football game. I know that I uh, I would have much rather played Auburn after that game than before that game. I know that. Yeah. Because win or lose, they'll walk out of it beat up. Pete, as always, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Ryan Brown in the green room there at the, the next round. Good to joining us here on the show. You guys just get bigger and bigger every time. Every time I talk to you, there's a new, a new, new toy, a new set, a new <laughs> everything. It's like just, it's like just watching a, it's like watching an infant grow up in warp speed. Well, we we've had this. Um, I'll give you. I'm, I, maybe we can finish with the tour if you would like. <laughs> um, but we've had the green couch. I'm normally in our studio, which is just that way uh, through the wall. But Dunaway and our video producer, Scott Forrester, are uh, speaking to an Auburn journalism class as uh -huh. we speak. So they use the studio to do that. So I got booted to the green room. So welcome to the Double Down Media Next Round Green Room. Are they talking about officiating with the Auburn? Uh <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. I, I mean, I love that it's a journalism class and they're talking to us. I mean, we're anything but anything but journalism. Um, so I don't even know what the subject of the, uh, the discussion is, but I was not at, Oh, I actually, 
I was asked to attend. I can't say that, but uh, I my commitment is to you first. I told him that's very nice. I'm Neil. I'm Neil first. Yeah. <laughs> That's Neil the, has sent me gear now, so I can't say I, no to Neil. I know. I, I, sent, you, I sent you stuff. Um, yeah. All right, we'll get into the SEC slate. Um, I want to start with a couple of coach rumors, though, because I want to get your thoughts. You're 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 right. you're probably more dialed in than I am at this point. Um, I don't know. I used to be feel like I was pretty dialed in, and now I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Maybe it's my age. So let me tell you the name that I'm hearing a lot with LSU the last seventy two hours. Okay. I'm hearing numbers. And when I hear numbers, I'm like, whoa, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley. You know, I heard that. Who mentioned that on our show? Oh, I'll tell you who mentioned that. And this is interesting. T-Bob. Oh. Yeah, T-Bob was there on our go. show. T-Bob Hebert. Yeah, T-Bob Hebert yeah, played at LSU, does radio down there now. Now, I'll, I will say T-Bob mentioned that as a name like you that has gotten some traction. And T-Bob himself said, look, I'm historically bad on these. Like, I – you know, especially as it concerns LSU, I don't have like the inside information people would think. So he, he gave a disclaimer before he said that, but that was one of the names he brought up because, you know, he brought up the idea of leaving a program coming to the SEC for a program that is already in the SEC. Um, so if you were, and I don't know that he's a Jimmy Sexton guy, um, Lincoln Riley, but if you were Lincoln Riley, what's the appeal to going to LSU from Oklahoma? For if you if you're if you're if you're selling him on that Neil, how do you sell that one? It's twofold. One, uh, he has found at Oklahoma that he has a hard time getting the defensive talent that you need to get over this final hump. Yep. I mean, he's proven that you can do it. And then I think Lincoln Riley. That's what I've been told, and I don't know this. I'm not going to pretend to be sourced at Oklahoma. Um, I'm told that there is some concern there. That hey, look. We're better positioned for this move to the SEC than Texas, mm-hmm. but there are going to be some growing pains. Uh, yeah. This is going to be different. This is this is going to be a different deal when you got a lineup and you got Alabama and you got Auburn and you got um, you know LSU and you got uh, even the trip to Fayetteville every other year and the trip to Oxford every other year and the trip to Starkville every other year. You're going to play physical football teams, no matter how this is done, whether it's pods or or. or or divisions, however this is done, you're going to have your hands full. Every time you go to A&M, they're going to want to absolutely slit your throat. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. And there's going to be some growing pains. And I don't know that I want to be the guy that guides through the growing pains. Yeah. Probably going to be. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thing. Yeah. And then the other thing, yeah. the other thing is this. Everyone knows, I'm not even going to dance around this delicately. I'm going to be honest. Everyone knows Scott Woodward was brought to LSU to make this hire. Mm-hmm. Scott Woodward is not one to sit back and go, okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to let you guys do what you want to do. And there's pressure on Scott Woodward to hire a minority candidate. And there are some very qualified, strong minority candidates out there. Uh, Mel Tucker, James Franklin, yeah. Eric Bieniemy, even though he doesn't have the college experience. But Mel, Tucker, Mel Tucker's kicking that ass right now at Michigan State. Uh, has ties to LSU, coached at Georgia with Kirby. Um, makes a lot of sense. So if he's not going to do that, and it's not that he's not wanting to do that, it's that he wants to make his hire. And I think his hire would probably be Jimbo Fisher, but he probably can't get Jimbo. Now, there are people, Ryan, who believe, hey, I know. there are people who will tell you who are dialed into LSU that this is Jimbo's job until Jimbo says after the LSU-Tennessee game, I'm not doing it. 
that Jimbo is going to have to say no, that it might be in a super private setting, but that Jimbo is going to have to say no. But they, they'll tell you then, but if it's not him, he's going to want to make a splash, and he's got the money to do it. And that's where it's interesting is you start hearing this number, 12 to $13 million a year. That is, that is money that only a very small handful of schools could think about. Jeez, Alabama, are you serious? I am totally serious. Alabama yeah. could do it. Ohio State could do it. Yeah. Mm, boy, you getting you getting uncomfortable at that point. And so it's LSU's it's LSU's way of saying we don't intend to be a step back. Yeah. We intend to be a big boy. We intend to sit at the big boy table at every holiday. We understand that we're going to have company there, but we're, we're planning to sit next to Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia. And we're, 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 going to, we're going to split our chocolate pie with those guys. And so um, our pumpkin pie or whatever flavor you, you like at the holidays. Um, and I'm hearing it enough to go, hey, I think there might be something to it. That's crazy, man, because – you know, I, I look at Jimbo, and we actually talked about this on our show today because, as you know, the reports are out there, what you just said, that Scott Woodward still thinks he can get Jimbo Fisher. Now, the money, I, I don't think a is strapped for cash, obviously, but it seems like even with Jimmy Sexton, it's hard to go to them and say, I know we just agreed to a contract extension, but now LSU is offering us 12 or 13, so we're going to need that to stick around. But here's my point. Aside from that, if you push that money aside, which is hard to do, I'd like to try to push that money aside one day, but it's hard to do, is if I'm, if I'm selling Jimbo on staying at Texas A&M, here's what I say. Jimbo, the last two coaches at LSU have won a national championship and both have been fired. You've had one good season that didn't even result in you going to Atlanta. You got blown out by Alabama in that one good season. And – I got you a contract extension. You're making nine million a year, and it's all guaranteed. Um, to me, from a job security standpoint, AM's the better place to be. And I'm just not convinced. Now, historically, this has been the case. Historically, AM has not accomplished what LSU has. But it's hard for me to look at that program and say that they can't, right? I mean, can you look at A&M and say there's no way they can reach the level that historically LSU has been able to reach, which is no. the last three coaches that have coached there have won a national championship. But, Neil, the numbers tell me you can't because nobody has ever done it. Nobody has ever done that at A&M. You're right, but in the last – I'm pulling up – Texas A&M plays Auburn on, on Saturday. In the last yeah. season and a half under Jimbo Fisher, did A&M win their bowl game? They did, didn't they? I forget. I think so. I think, I think they, they did. did. Yeah. So if that's the correct, they're they're sixteen and three in their last nineteen games. Yeah. It's pretty. And pretty it, elite. It, it's pretty elite. It is. It is elite, but it's not going to get. It, chances are, it's not going right. to get you to Atlanta. Well, it won't mean, get you to Atlanta, but but one of those losses yeah. was to uh, one of those losses was to Alabama. They mm -hmm. got upset by Arkansas, and then who was the other one mm -hmm. that we lost? Mississippi State. Yeah, and they got upset by State. Yeah, he got yeah. he got to cut the upsets out, but. Yeah, because one of those two is keeping you out of Atlanta right right now. Yeah, unless yeah, Alabama sure. loses, you know, in the Iron Bowl or gets upset, you know, by Arkansas, yeah, um, you'd have to be one, one of those two. One of those two losses keeping you out of Atlanta. But no, it's a big time job. But I mean, if you if you're if you're doing the whole let's win a national championship, which job would you rather have, LSU or Texas A and M? Well, 
I'd rather have the LSU job because the last three coaches yeah. have won the national championship. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd rather have that job. And and but look, A and M's a big time gig, and if it opened up, the list of people that would apply or want that job is is big. But you got to have a certain personality there because you're going to get off the plane and do the North Korean marching band thing and realize, hey, this is this place is nuts. So odd. This place is crazy. It is weird, man. That that place is different than anywhere, not just in the SEC, but in the country. It is a it's a different world out there. But there again, the guy has accomplished. I mean, if you look at what Jimbo Fisher is being paid, where that puts him in the stratosphere of college football coaches, he hasn't accomplished at A and M anywhere near what those guys have. Yeah. yeah, he's being paid that, and it's all guaranteed. I mean, it is. He's as he's as secure as just about anybody in the country right now. So. I mean, there, I think there's a lot to be said for that. But these coaches operate, man, they operate different ways. So Rick Neuheisel comes out today and says, hey, I think Dan Mullen wants to go pro, basically. Yeah. You know, Dan's, Dan, yeah. The word was he's tired of this. And I think you can right. look at Dan's reaction to the question. It was, a, it was an innocuous question about recruiting, and he lost his mind on it, which told me that you're about to snap. Your thoughts, because I've gotten criticized on my board today. People are like, man, you're kind of losing it. Maybe I am. But I've talked to some people this week who are like, I don't think Dan Mullen's going to be there much more. Yeah. Do you think Dan I, Mullen's I at Texas? Yeah. Do you think Dan Mullen's at Florida next season? Um, next season. See, here's the pro- – he's not going to get fired because they should win their next four. They've got – I don't have it in front of me. I think it's Missouri. South Carolina, Missouri. South Sanford, Carolina. Stanford and Florida yeah, Sanford, some no name. They're right here in my city. Uh, that, was, that was bad by me. Uh, sorry, Sanford. Um, I, I, I knew it was uh, FCS, so I should not have said that. That's my bad. It's a beautiful campus. Uh, sorry to, Sanford. Yeah, it's a gorgeous campus. I would love for my daughter to go there. She does not want to. Um, but Chris Hatcher's done a nice job. Okay, I've said enough platitudes now. Yeah, I can good. move on. Um, I'm dug out of that. Yeah, I. Uh, so he's not going to lose those games. So you're not going to fire him. He's going to end on a four-game win streak. So he's going to have to choose to leave. I do think he might be on the hot seat starting next year. I don't know that he would get fired this year. Would it blow me away? Absolutely not. Am I willing to guarantee it? No, I'm not willing to go that far either. Um, here's the thing. That question he was asked, you're right. It was an innocuous question. It's a question Nick Saban wouldn't particularly be thrilled about being asked during a game week or Brian Harson in our state or Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin wouldn't be thrilled about being asked about recruiting do you have to recruit better in a game week that said I think all of them answer it a little bit differently Saban might have given the you know eye roll look you know we're always recruiting but right now I'm focused on LSU and he would have answered it yeah uh Harson probably Harson actually kind of operates the same way he probably would have done the same Kiffin you know he'd have he'd have answered it Kirby got it right yeah 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 yeah, Kirby, absolutely. Um, but what Dan Mullen did and not answering it and doing the old next question showed it was under his skin, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It showed that this is a bone of contention. This is a point of contention, either him being questioned about recruiting or him being questioned about anything, period. That's a point of contention for him, which it's that type of stuff stacked on top of each other that does make you realize this ain't the job for me. And if anybody should have known it, it should have been Dan Mullen because he got to live there and he got to see it with Urban Meyer, who was uber successful, but still at times had to deal with stuff like this. The job I'm watching in the college ranks with, with Mullen is Penn State. Does, does James yeah. Franklin get the USC job? Because it certainly sa- seems that way. It certainly sounds that way, that, that mm-hmm. James Franklin's getting that job. 
Uh, does James Franklin get that job? And when it opens, can can Jimmy Sexton get Dan Mullen into Penn State? Because this is the James, this is the way Jimmy loves to operate. Now you yeah. move a move a guy, move another guy, create another create another opening, and when you create the Florida opening in this scenario, now you can move someone there, and that creates another opening, and that's where maybe you move in a new guy. You 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 he's always he's always it, it's chess. Yeah, it's the it's the reverse Jenga. He's not just pulling pieces out. He's pulling pieces out and then moving a piece from the bottom to the top, right? Yeah. Um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the way he operates. I, I can 100% see James Franklin getting that job because I think James Franklin, I think I'm not the biggest James Franklin guy. And I think his personality, uh, the way he sells a program, I think overshadows some shortcomings in his coaching career. And to me, the biggest shortcoming in his coaching career – if you want to put positives, you put positives. Uh, he won at Vanderbilt. Nobody else has ever done that. He won nine games at Vanderbilt. He had college game day on campus at Vanderbilt for an Auburn Vandy game. Nobody's ever done that. Okay, so obviously that goes in the good column. He won a Big Ten championship at Penn State. That goes in the good column. In the bad column is aside from Joe Moorhead, the guy has never had competent offense, and it has hamstrung him. It has cost him wins. It has cost him competing in his conference. The guy never has good offense. And if I'm in a place like USC, that's something that is important to me because I am in the Pac-12 where I'm going to need offense. And I'm in a pro city that is all about glitz and glamour. I'm going to need an up-tempo, high-powered offense to, to win that city. Not necessarily just to win in the Pac-12, which I think you do, but to win that city, I'm going to need up-tempo offense. And that's not what James Franklin brings you at all. James Franklin actually has the personality of a guy that makes you think he brings that, but he really doesn't. He's yeah. never had it. He's never had it aside from Joe Moorhead. And that's what concerns me about James Franklin at the USC job. But I think his personality and his persona and the way he sells this program, the face he has for the program, makes you actually look past that shortcoming. That's more than fair. I, we'll see. It's going to be – it's going to spin here in about three weeks uh, pretty pretty heavily. All right, I know you got yeah. stuff to do, so let's, let's get into the SEC games that, that are – We'll touch them. Uh, Missouri's at Georgia. The, the only question there is the line. Does, does Georgia, Boy. Does Georgia uh, cover 38 points? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I think is interesting with Georgia is down the stretch here because they've got a bunch of blowouts coming up. They play they play an out-of-conference nobody that I know is not Sanford. Uh, they play – or do they? Maybe they've already played that game. They play – I know Georgia Tech. Georgia has – Georgia has Missouri, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston, Southern, and Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech, yeah, okay. So they they should win all those games easily by three scores or more. Although Tennessee has improved, but I still think Georgia's defense, that's bad news for them. What does Kirby Smart do with JT Daniels in these games? Because, you know, I don't think there, there will be no pressure in these games to switch to JT Daniels. Stetson Bennett can play his normal football. You win these games going away. But do you get JT Daniels some snaps? Do you try to do it with your first teamers? And what is the reaction to that? I think that's the big story in these games for the Georgia Bulldogs because there's no, there's nothing that's going to force them until they get in the postseason, if even then, to go away from Stetson Bennett. Nothing forces them to do that in these four games. But do you try to shake the rust off JT Daniels just in case? Because it's got to be in the back of Kirby's mind that I might need him a la Alabama 2017 when they had to switch to Tua Tonga below in the postseason. I might actually need him. Kirby Smart saw that firsthand. Obviously, he was on the other sideline 
So, you know, what does he do with JT Daniels? I think that's the only interesting thing about Georgia football over the next month. Any thoughts at all on Liberty and Ole Miss? Did that do anything for you at all? I do think uh, Malik Willis gives this Ole Miss defense some trouble. I think he he can give them some trouble. Um, what, is Corral, his or his arm? A little bit of both. You know, I now look, UAB is a step down, but UAB is a really good defense, and they came here and played UAB, and UAB could not stop him. And uh, I, I think I think both. You know, I've heard him described as a guy that runs well, but he's not run first, uh, Malik Willis. So I think that's interesting. But I think Ole Miss's offense, assuming Corral's 100%, you, you tell me better than anybody, how close is he to 100%? If he's anywhere close to 100%, Liberty ain't stopping Ole Miss's offense. I don't know that he's 100%, but I, I think he's going to be okay. He's going to play. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I could see Ole Miss winning this game by 14 to 17. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a 10-point game in the fourth quarter and they pull away. I, I could see but I don't think Liberty's going to beat them by any stretch. I've got Ole Miss by 14, and I think that's yeah. comfortable. Um, it, it's funny. The whole freeze thing has made me this week just almost tune the game out. And it's not fair to the people that, that – that, and I've written about it. So I've done my job, but from a yeah. from a me truly being interested in it, the, the freeze part of it, because I'm honest, I, I don't know that I can really talk about freeze objectively. And so I try not to. And so um, – that that's made it it's made it a weird week i'll be glad when this week's kind of done texas a&m comes here next week they get auburn this week at a big game there in college station for for both teams both teams are certainly in the new year six mix and all of that right now um what do you what do you expect in college station you know the biggest um well i expected Ole miss to beat auburn and auburn won i expect auburn to win this game which is probably bad news for Auburn. um but the biggest outlier statistic in all the SEC this year, and it's maybe the biggest mystery to me in the entire SEC, is go look at Zach Calzada's game log. Go look at his game-by-game passing. And everything in there is 50% completion percentage or somewhere in that neighborhood for 120 to 180 yards and maybe a touchdown, right? Everything in there. You go look, opponent after opponent after opponent, Calzada has completed half his passes, for a really low yardage total, and he might have thrown a touchdown, except for two games, New Mexico, which you totally expect, and Alabama. <laughs> I mean, that Alabama, Zach Calzada's stat line in that Alabama game will never not blow me away. His night that night, he was just he was out of his mind. And it's the only only good game he's played against a quality opponent all year. Yeah, he was great that night. He, he was. was. He was terrific. I watched I mean, that, that game. Is, yeah. I, I, I remember watching that game thinking, am I drunk? I know. I mean, he threw – I think he completed – I don't have it in front of me – like 66% of his passes, which yeah. is well above anything he's done all year. 275 yards, which is well above anything he's done. Three touchdowns, which is well above anything he's done. And one gutty, Alabama. And one gutty play after another. I mean, I know. He, he I know. It makes no sense. None whatsoever. That said, I think he's regressed back to what he's always been, which is about a 50% passer that doesn't throw for a ton of yards. I think it comes down to the run game. Isaiah Spiller's a really good running back, yeah. but Tate Bigsby finally got back that that game he had against Ole Miss. The hundred yard rush game was the first one he had had since the Penn State game, which was Week Three. So I think Auburn's getting back to running the ball a little bit better. And Bo Nix has played a really good month of football. He has. You, you got you know you got to put an asterisk next to the Georgia game. Bo Nix has really a weak offensive line in front of him. He got no run support. His receivers were awful in that game. 
But if you take a look, you take that one out and you look at what he did against LSU, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, he's played really good football. So that, that's why I think Auburn wins the game. Lane defends the analytics, but he should have kicked some in the fourth quarter, shouldn't he? I, I don't get, you know, to me, so analytics, you know, that's always interesting to me because I don't get to see the analytics, right? You can only say, well, the analytics tell me to do that. Well, I don't see the analytics, so I don't know if it made sense or not. But I know simple math. And simple math tells me when I've got the ball and I probably am only getting one more possession. There was four and a half minutes to go, something like that. I'm probably only getting one more possession. I got the ball and I'm down 11. I got a kick there. It's fourth and three. I've got to get the points to make it a one possession game because I'm only going to get the ball one more time. And I, I just, to me, if you're going to put the play entirely on one game, which you did there, uh, or put the game entirely on one play, which you did there, I'm going to wait as long as I can to put the game on a single play. And I don't think he did that. So yeah, I would have kicked there. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. All right. Uh, so you got, you got Auburn beating A&M, which mm -hmm. would make next week here pretty interesting. Uh, Mississippi State's played really well the last couple of weeks. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, I get it, but they, they've looked really good. They go to Arkansas. Uh, the Hogs have had a, a little bit of a break. They got Pine Bluff, and then they got an off date. So they've presumably gotten healthy. Uh, they've probably kind of caught their wind. They've gotten over the disappointment of the Ole Miss loss, the Auburn loss. What do you expect in Fayetteville? You know, it's weird because this was the game last year where um, – you know, you look, you look at Mississippi State, they came in and they had that amazing win against LSU. They go to Starkville, they play, and Odom had this great defensive scheme yep. that Mississippi State could do nothing against. And, um, you know, you wonder, Mike Leach is, a, you know, I think a really good offensive coach, and you wonder, you know, he's had all offseason to scheme against. I know Odom has to. Odom knows I can't do the exact same thing, obviously. So I think that's an interesting chess match. And I do think Will Rogers has played much improved football. He was fantastic at Kentucky. And that's obviously a really good defense, but he only had like three incompletions against Kentucky. Played terrific football. He was, he was awesome. He was pretty good. Yeah, he was pretty good against Vanderbilt too. So I think Rogers is actually playing since the Alabama game some improved football. I think I kind of like Mississippi State in this situation to beat Arkansas. I, I do really too. do. I do too. I was the only one in our picks thing that that picked State. Yeah. Uh, I like L LSU's at Alabama. The, again, the only question is the line: twenty-eight and a half points. And how how much does does uh, Nick want to sit and add out with a parting gift. You know, it's interesting. That is really, you know, has never been kind of in the character of Nick Saban. He's been in the situation a couple times where either the coach is on the brink or he's playing a coach that's already been fired or whatever. Um, and he's never, it's just really, if you go back and look at his history, it's, it's kind of against his nature to run the score up. He tries not to do it. He takes the air out of the ball um, to, to keep from doing that. So it's really never been in his nature. That said, I, I don't know that he and Orgeron have a particularly adversarial relationship. By and large, he's owned Orgeron. But at the end of that game in 2019, he did – Orgeron did this thing on midfield, which I actually, I actually videoed. I was just standing out on the field talking to somebody, and Orgeron comes around. He's like, get around, get around. We won't, we won't break it down. Get around, get around. And I'm like, I might want to video this. So I just take my phone and I start videoing. And he does this thing where he goes, you know, this is from now on, this is our house. This is our house from now on. And then they go into the locker room and one of the players is either on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. Yeah. And he's videoing and he says a lot of things in the locker room. And he's tried to, he's tried to walk that back this week, but you can tell from hearing the Alabama players, they took that personally. Sure. And, and then they, they delivered last year, but this is the first time it's been back in Bryant Denny. So I think the Alabama players, whether Nick Saban wants to send a message or not, I think the Alabama players do. 
There's a way to this act is, when you beat Alabama, and that wasn't yeah. it. The way to act, That's right. hey, this is a giant win for us because those guys are f- phenomenal, and beating them is a big accomplishment. And, and, and yeah, absolutely, this is a huge moment. And nobody yeah. gets offended when you say that. Like, hey, you know, it, that was a big deal for us. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you don't, so, you don't yeah, act like the, you, you – the, the, yeah. Yeah, this, this game's personal for Alabama's players. And um, I, I don't and, – and LSU is so depleted. I mean, one of my – show host co-host Lance Taylor made the point he goes this is a this is basically they're coming to Tuscaloosa with an NFL roster that doesn't have NFL players on it you know it's the size of an NFL roster with a fairly average SEC team on that roster so uh, this could be a bloodbath I I think Alabama often and early in this Tennessee at Kentucky it's only a three-point line I think the line's even less than that in some places I have no idea what to expect here this is the most intriguing game yeah I agree yeah, I think – and Tennessee has owned this rivalry historically. Yeah. Um, and Kentucky coming off the, the the loss there, I don't know how they respond. What worries me about Kentucky is they have slowly over this year – they started against La Monroe, the fight in Terry Bowden's, and they have slowly regressed back into what they were before Liam Cohen came in and they got Will Levis, the transfer quarterback. And they're back to that team now. They're back to the team – that just struggles to get yardage and they have to block kicks and return them for a touchdown like they did against Florida. They have to have pick sixes. They just have to play this exceptional defense. The Stoops is really good at coaching, but they get into these situations where they have to do that to have any chance at winning. And I think, you know, I was very critical of the Heifel hire. I thought it was a lazy hire, a hire of comfort that Mike White made, but I'll have to give him credit. I think he's improved this team. I think they're playing better football now that they played. And I kind of like Tennessee in this spot. I think this is a a good spot for them right now. You heard it here. The Vols are back, Ryan Brown says. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Last one. It's not even interesting at all. The the line's 19 and a half. Florida's at South Carolina. Shane Beamer's team has played hard for him. They're just not any good. Um, Any chance that the distractions in, in Florida are such that makes this interesting late? Well, I mean, I, I think that plus I've never been the biggest Todd Grantham fan, though you certainly can't point the finger at him for the cocktail party. Those are all, you know, offensive wounds that, that happened right before the half. But I think you're in a situation now where you got a quarterback situation. I think you got to go back to Emory Jones here. I kind of wanted to see Richardson, but he didn't perform well, obviously. But if he run, if he doesn't play Richardson, he's going to run him off because he's going to he's going to hop in the portal. There's going to be so yeah. many guys in the portal, man. I mean, I know. This, the portal's yeah, going to be running into each other. The portal's going to blow people away in, in December. Yeah, because I wonder, do you pat does Spencer Rattler and Richardson pass in the portal as Spencer's on his way to Gainesville? You know who knows. Well, but, I, I think if Lane Kiffin has his way, uh, one of those cats never makes it to their destination because yeah, he's well. he's kind of in between and. He might try to throw up like a net or something. Stop. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you, you know, I think you got to go back to Emory Jones, but now have you, have you ruined his confidence? I don't know. I think it's this, I don't think it's a particularly tough spot. I still think they win the game, but you're right. Shane Beamer has kept that team playing hard. It's a, it's a, it's a bad roster he's got right now. They're yeah. undermanned. Uh, I mean, he's been starting to graduate assistant at quarterback half the year. So that shows you how bad it is. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they could play with Florida a little bit. I do think there's enough of, of the distraction. But Florida, that roster, that talent has just gotten to win this game out at some point. Uh, last thing, um, have, you, have you had any luck with getting your support monkey? I mean, how's that coming along? Is it the paperwork and all that? You know, what, you know what's crazy? Here's what's crazy. 
<laughs> so that guy coached in Tuscaloosa, I want to say three years, four years, Jeff Baines did. Uh-huh. And there were rumors about his wife's or girlfriend's, I think it's girlfriend, by the way, not wife, his girlfriend's occupation. But it never, never got out publicly. I, I don't think anybody ever knew she owned a monkey um, that I think was there in Tuscaloosa. It's amazing how quiet that story stayed in Tuscaloosa under Nick Saban. But let Jeff Banks go out and coach under Sark, and all of a sudden everybody knows what she does for a living, what her nickname is and her job, and the fact that she's got a monkey that sometimes participates in that job. Um, that, I mean, it's, that's the crazy – well, that's not the crazy part of the story. The story itself is the crazy part of the story. But that's one little branch of the story that's amazing to me is how quiet that stayed in this state. Sammy's still open over there? It is, yeah, right there on Valley Avenue. Right. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know that she ever – she might have. I'm not sure. I don't frequent those locations. Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that was her uh, rumor, at least. Her, her, she assassinates that pole. Yeah, pole assassin. It's pole assassin, not attacker. I keep saying pole yes. attacker, but it's pole assassin. No, no, that's, I think that's Gary Parrish. I think that's the column he writes, and you should never confuse Gary Parrish <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the pole assassin. No, you wouldn't want to do that. Um, <laughs> Dan Walken is, uh, I don't know what he is. Well, he's not interested. No, never stop. I'll leave that there. I'll yeah, I'll, 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 Dan, I'll, Dan doesn't need any more attacks. He's no, he's, he's got plenty of enemies. I'm sure that I'm sure Dan does not have a support monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Might need one. I love the thought. I love the thought of it, though. That is a pretty funny thought. Yeah, the thought of Dan walking around press boxes with a support yeah. monkey. Actually, it kind of makes sense, really, if you think about it. It really does. Of all the people that cover college football, if you told me one of them had a support monkey, I would think it would be Dan. That's where I'd go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll leave it there, Ryan. Thanks so much for the time, as always. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. All right. Always enjoy it. Thanks a lot. Y'all enjoy the weekend. Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 ESPN in Memphis, kind enough to join us, as he always does here on the MPW MPW Digital pregame show you would think in week 10 i'd have that down jeffrey how are you neil i'm doing great uh i don't even know why you need me because apparently all i do is just regurgitate what you tell me to say so i guess you need to, <laughs> you need a soundboard to talk back to i guess is that is that why i'm here yeah it's, that's why you're here it, you sent me a text this morning along those lines and i was like, i don't know what he's talking about and so i i pulled up the message board and i was like, oh that's what he's talking about mm-hmm. I've, I've acquired a gift. I have the ability to ignore it at times and uh, mm-hmm. just sort of let it go. And this is one of those weeks where I've just kind of let it go and hope that it fades. And I wrote about it in mailbag. I was asked about it. So I wrote about it. You wrote about it. I mean, I, I've really got nothing more to say about officiating at this point. I'm actually yeah, looking I'm- forward to going to a game Saturday and I'm, I, I'm going to watch two teams that it doesn't matter to me who wins. And um, I'm, I'm actually going to watch the officials a little bit. I'm going to see if I can pick up like trends with officials with Arkansas and Mississippi state, Arkansas wants to go fast. Mississippi state does the air raid thingy. So I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch the officials more than I ever would watch the officials. And it's my first game in person in a long time. And it's my first game, my first college game in uh in the stands as a non-media member in 20 years what what was the last one 
the last one I was covering Auburn in 2001 and Auburn had an open date and my brothers, my parents had just moved to Oxford and gotcha. my, my brothers and I met in Oxford and went to the Ole Miss Arkansas 2001 seven overtime game. So we were both there in person. We were both there. Yeah, that was the good old fashioned. Not only was it seven overtimes, that was back when they would start the ESPN two game at 830. Did that game start that late? Yeah. Remember, we didn't, like, I, what, it was like 2 a.m., I think, leaving the stadium. Oh, my God. I, I don't even remember that. Yeah. It was I a good just, football game. It was, it was a really entertaining football game. It was really long, and by the end, I just wanted it to end. Yes. Um, but, yeah, because I had to get up the next day and file my AP ballot. I was an AP voter that year, and then I had to get my family to Mobile and then get in the car and drive to Auburn. <laughs> oh, God. It sucked. <laughs> it was a brutal day. And um, for whatever reason, I remember this because I was trying to be, I, I guess I wasn't trying to be cute, but when I was an AP voter, I really tried to vote for who was the best team right then. Sure. And at that time, one of the few undefeated teams in the country was Arizona State. And I had Arizona State number one on my ballot. And this was early November and, of course, People lost their minds, and you know the rest. See, oh, one. So that was the Florida-Tennessee. That was, so that was obviously September 11th. The Florida-Tennessee game got moved to December, and then Tennessee beat Florida in Gainesville, and they thought they were going to the Rose Bowl because all my Tennessee buddies at breakfast on Monday after that game, you bringing your orange roses to the SEC championship game? You bringing your orange roses? And then Rohan Davey got knocked out and Matt Mock, uh, like, ran quarterback draw against oh, yeah. Tennessee to death. And LSU ends up beating them. And Ole Miss had actually beaten LSU. That was, the, that was when uh, Ole Miss went down to Baton Rouge with yep. Eli. That's the yep. Peyton with the, the brown hat uh, game in the stands. Isn't it so, funny how you remember stuff? Because I remember that game because earlier that day I'd covered Auburn and Arkansas in Fayetteville yeah. And it poured down rain and Arkansas just beat the hell out of Auburn. And there was no place to do the post game. And so Tuberville was just like, screw it. Let's just do it out here. And we stood out in the pouring rain. Yeah. And did a press conference. And Tommy, to, I guess to his credit, I guess he was punishing himself. He did 20 minutes of standing in the rain talking about getting their ass kicked by Arkansas is a cold rain, too. I mean, it was I, – I remember that. So, it's funny how you remember crazy crap, isn't it? But, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the last time I went to a, a college game as a non-media member. Because that was also the year – so, the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt game got moved to December, like the, like that Tennessee game. Mm -hmm. And Ole Miss Vanderbilt played. Ole Miss-Vanderbilt played in the afternoon on a day where – I was covering Auburn, obviously, and Auburn played yeah. in Baton Rouge in the coldest game I've ever covered in my life. Yeah, and then Ole Miss, like, got down, like, I don't know, three or four scores in the first half, and then yep. they come back and they win. And the big controversy then was Alabama ended up going six and five. Ole Miss was seven and four, having beaten Alabama at home that year. But uh, that was one of my favorite Jeff Calkins lines of all time. Say what you want about Roy Kramer, but at least he did have a policy. Just screw the Mississippi schools. 
and they sent Alabama to the Independence Bowl over Ole Miss. I remember. And I wrote a column about it that said that Ole Miss had gotten screwed, and uh, that went over kind of like a fart in church in the state of Alabama. They did not care about who deserved to be in a bowl yes. game. They cared about who was in the bowl game. Isn't it funny, like, how bowl games actually used to be, like, an accomplishment? I know. Remember, like, it, like, and now it's, like, it feels like a chore. Like, it's, like, well, is I mean, this team even going to play? Like, who's well, opting out? Like, in, That's exactly right. We were having this conversation, Chase and I, in the driveway as he was leaving the other day. And I said, you do know Ole Miss is one loss away from the story on a bowl game being, is Matt Corral going to play? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it, like, that's, I do think that's part of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. and if you want to, you know, if you want to make it topical, this is why, listen, I'm cool with, with a playoff, but this is my argument for, this was always my point of, I did not think the BCS was a bad system. First and foremost, like. The two teams. Correct. I didn't think it was a bad system. You know, for the most part, every single year, whoever won the title was the best team. Mm-hmm. And everyone wants to point to that 04 year with Auburn. Like, I think Auburn's in the sweet spot. They get to claim they were screwed and they didn't have to go take that ass kicking from USC. Like, you, you get to kind of do that. But other than that, I actually think the team that got screwed the most, the BCS era, is actually the reason why we have the playoff. In 2011, LSU had the most complete season up until that point of that era, start to finish, ranked teams, road wins, like everything. One of the most complete seasons we've ever seen a team have. And the reward was you get to go play Alabama again. Again. Like, because, yeah, like, and so I'm fine with the playoff. My biggest problem with the playoff is it's partly ESPN's fault, but it's, I also don't blame ESPN because it's their product. But in the playoff era, I don't think it is deniable at this point. The entire conversation of college football has become about the playoff. And even think about this. It used to be a big deal to go to a BCS bowl. Mm-hmm. Now with the New Year Six, I'm not like, this isn't even a particular shot at any one team, but it's just like, I don't know, like to me, the New Year Six does not feel the same as a BCS bowl to me. Sure, agree. And I, and to me, the other problem is it has steered all conversation towards what is this playoff? Who gets screwed? Everything. I've never thought that was what college football was about. I always thought college football was about rivalries, games that maybe matter to you, but don't matter to our friend in Dubuque or whatever. And, and sure. the same for him. Our friend in Dubuque has games that he cares. That's it's always been a regional sport that has this weird element of expectations dictate how you feel about success or failure. And now it's become everything is about can you build a national championship team? Can you, you know, everything is about this one playoff. And the reality is, like, no, you can't. Like, there's three, there's three or four schools that can't even look at how much Clemson has been into, able to elevate themselves, and now they're perhaps at a crisis moment mm-hmm. where 
They've gotten to the mountaintop. And God knows how much sweat equity and everything was went into building that and getting to that point. And now there's a question of, can they sustain it? Is this a one-off or is this, you know, is this the one-off or is it maybe, hey, now that we're seeing they had back-to-back generational type quarterbacks, maybe it's not as easy anymore. And, and, you know, the roster construction changed almost overnight with the transfer rule and whatnot. And so it all just, it all just goes to me like, the, well, everything has been completely steered by this one topic and this one topic, like this sport has never mattered. Like no matter what anyone says, the whole national championship thing, like it's never been the part of the sport because do you know how we defined who a national champion was for over a century? You let a bunch of we fat wrote dudes names vote. on a list. Yeah. A bunch yes. of fat dudes voted. I mean, that's, that's yes. what happened. And, and, and then you did this thing and now, now it's, it's, Everything is measured about whether you can make the playoff or not. So, so, and, and it, number one, it's it's the. Um, but if you look at it, look at where we're headed with the playoff. Alabama's, well, Alabama probably won't make it because they're going to get beat by Georgia. But, oh, okay, uh, I agree. Let's. I agree with your premise that Alabama gets beat by Georgia. Although now, I will tell you a- this: uh, the, the officiating fixing a game thingy. Yeah. If the SEC was ever motivated to fix a game. 100%. It wasn't Ole Miss Auburn last weekend, whatever. Nope. It, it wasn't Ole Miss Tennessee or, or Arkansas Auburn or whoever. No, no, no. The game that they're motivated to fix. The championship game. is they, They're motivated to fix Alabama to beat Georgia so that they're both in. Correct. Because if Georgia's 12-0 and 0 and they lose in the championship game, they're just going to wear a different jersey in the playoff. Correct. I will say this, though. I was saying it for weeks to you. Are we certain two loss Alabama's not in? You would know because this better than me. Them two. And, and because I don't, but why? What Bama is Bama. There is, here's one thing that's not, that's to me, well, first off, let's deal with reality. This is ESPN's event. Yeah. And when everyone wants to get mad at this committee and whatnot, they are only allowed to use the data that, that ESPN, ESPN tells them to use. Them. Yes, of yes. course. Well, it's, it's so so it's really interesting the way this is going, right? Because there's a lot to get to here, and we'll we'll talk. Well, about and it. if you want to talk about conspiracies, here's one for you. ESPN, I would assume, wants the 12 team playoff sooner rather than later. Yeah, they like it because, right. well, first and foremost, if it happens before 23 they automatically get it, and they don't have to take it to market. Right. In my mind, the fastest way to expedite this to the 12th team, because now we see the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen are dragging their feet, and Sankey's not backing down. I'm not doing this eight-team thing. Like, I, 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 he's just not. He's, he's not going to do it unless it's eight at-larges. Like, he'll do it then. Sure. But he's not doing that because – that's, and that's, him, that's him defending his constituency. Well, and on top of that, I actually, like, it's somewhat disingenuous, but I don't think he's being straight up a liar when he says, this thing's worked pretty well for us. Like, we like it. Works pretty well for us because yeah. we're the only one that's gotten two teams in. Well, and, and those but are the, the teams that get the massive ratings. Those are the teams, frankly, those are the teams that ESPN wants. It's the reason that 
that ESPN and Disney have partnered with the SEC moving forward for forever. And it's the reason that, that when, when the SEC called the people at Disney and go, Hey, uh, listen, uh, Texas and Oklahoma, they want to come in and we'd like for them to come in. But now listen, we don't really want to take money away from people to do it. They went, I give them a share. We, that this, this, this will be, we will renegotiate and it will be the exact same amount. And if not more, but the, my, my point is if, if you really want to expedite this, let's look at what has always sparked change. The 2011 BCS championship game, the rematch of the ages, LSU and Alabama. That's why we have a playoff. We are going, we started to see the 14 playoff was fine until the SEC got two in. You really want to, you want to hurry this thing up? Put two loss Alabama in there, and then all of a sudden it's off to the races. So give me a scenario, because you follow this closer than I have. I'm I'm and you know this. The people that get worked up on the first playoff thing, I get it, and I'm supposed to get worked up about it because I do this for a living, but I I, I never can generate enough emotion on the first one because I'm like, look, there's other games to be played. People are gonna play games. People are going to lose games. There's going to be an upset. We have ch- conference championships. There's going to be stuff that happens. And I'm, I'm always like, just kind of wake me up in week three, and I'll look at it and go, okay, all right, now we're starting to see this. But until then, I, 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 I have to generate a false level I mean, of interest. To, but, to your point. But give me a scenario where Alabama is the fourth seed, because this would be Alabama as the two-loss four seed. Yes. Playing, the scenario playing, is. Playing Georgia again in a semifinal. The scenario is Alabama wins out and the SEC championship game is relatively close. And I mean, as long as it's not just so obvious that Georgia just throttled them, but you know, play like every Alabama and Georgia SEC championship game thus far, they've all been pretty close. Like 30 to 28, Georgia beats Alabama. Or, I mean, honestly, it could be like, it could even be like the Clemson game 10 to six and it could even be like that. Now, I don't think that would be the result, but it could be like as long as the score is close because everyone is ever. First off, everyone has an agenda when commenting about the playoff ranking. Two things can be true. Number one, Cincinnati can be getting screwed. And anyone that's watched Cincinnati also knows that ain't one of the four best teams. Like I, you can nitpick. Now, the problem that Cincinnati is, Cincinnati is getting nitpicked in a way that no one else is getting, that, they're, that the contemporaries are not getting nitpicked. That is a fair point. Because ESPN but, doesn't want them. <laughs> no, of course not. They don't want them in one of those two huge games. Hold on. Right now, we're set up to have, let me get this straight. We're set up to have Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Or maybe we can backdoor Michigan in there instead of one of them. Like, sure. yeah, sure. we're going to go do that. We, we, we want that. Like, that's what we want. That's what they want. I mean, if you want to throw Oregon in there, okay. But we still, hopefully we can get them to lose at some point. Uh, that's, that's the reality of the situation. If, if, if you tell ESPN, here's, here are your two games. You're going to get Georgia and Ohio State, and you're going to get Alabama and Oklahoma. They go, sign us up. Yes. <laughs> You guys just sweet. We'll we'll bring the Cialis and the and the and the National Rental or whatever Enterprise Rent a Car and, and Bud Light. Uh, 
and yeah, we're we'll, bringing we'll, all the Bud Light. We're, we're, we're in. Everybody's going to go, we're in. I mean, well, and also don't forget the uh, arthritis medicine. Yeah. Like, those are the sweet spots. Like, when you get boner pill, arthritis pill, rental car, uh, and yeah. then, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a nice little, yeah, and then a beer, then a beer commercial, yeah. Good. I mean, so I, that's that's what they they don't want Cincinnati in that deal. That there's just well, this is the other thing that was frustrating. This isn't the first round of the NCAA tournament where you want Cinderella. You don't want Cinderella at the big dance. You want Cinderella at the early dances. Yes, and, and, and that's why if they like, go to if they go to twelve teams, yeah, give us Cincinnati, Notre Dame, sure, Cincinnati, Georgia, give us that game because it's Cinderella, and if it's bad, we've got other shit we can we can market. Yeah. It, it was, I just tweeted out, I was like, I can't wait to read all the think pieces of, uh, from people telling me how Cincinnati's gotten screwed from people that haven't watched Cincinnati. And sure enough, it was just like, you could even like check it off. Like, yep, he's here. She's here. He's here. Yep, yep, yep. Like, well, and, all those people, people... and there are people in your market there in Memphis who I like. I like as individuals. They're nice people, really nice people. I don't want to name one name in particular, but I like the guy a lot. He's a nice guy. But he's just determined. He doesn't work at your station. He's just determined to say the Cincinnati is getting screwed. The group of fives getting screwed. The Americans getting screwed. The little guys getting screwed. The fix is in. And it's like, yeah and no. And of course it's fixed. It's fixed. It's money. And you, I don't, it's, it just reminds me. You don't being, bring enough money to the table to make it worthwhile. It, it reminds me of seeing another fraternity's formal and going, why didn't you let me go? Like, it's their party. <laughs> like, they created the system. Like, yeah. it's their party. Like, no, duh. Like, and so you should be signing off. Instead of fighting the SEC and ESPN on a 12-team playoff, you should be signing off on it. Going, We're in. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You guys want to control it? Sure. Because if we go 12-0 and and win the American – we're going to get in a 12-team playoff. And you are. You're absolutely – proof is, that what, what are they, six right now? You're going to get in a 12-team playoff. You're going to get an this, – I'll tell you what this reeks of, though. This is – this reeks of UCF the second year. So they go undefeated. The year – they go undefeated, they beat Auburn in the in the, another another bowl game that was super important that Auburn clearly wanted to be at. The next year, they were also undefeated. But if you watched them play, you knew it wasn't the same team. This Cincinnati team is not good as last year, but they don't have the, the war. And so, like, you can't really – but it feels like the exact same thing. It's like they got screwed last year or whatever. And so the, the conversation is amplified. But, like, to your point, here's the reality. When we get to the final ranking, we might be arguing over number four. This yeah. thing always just kind of sorts itself out. Always does. And that's why I'm in favor of a 12-team playoff. I have been for a long time, as you know, because the bowls get minimized. Like, let's take, let's take Ole Miss, for example. Let's say Ole Miss goes 9-3. and three. Yep. For the sake of just making everybody comfortable, they lose to Texas A&M, they, they win the Egg Bowl, they go 9-3. and three. Um, I think according to Conley, that's their most likely. Yeah, okay. most likely is nine and three at 39%, eight and four is 37, 10 and two is 13%, and then uh, seven and five is 12. So the most likely is nine and three. So they go nine and three, and that puts them in the Citrus Bowl. 
Okay. Years ago, that would be what an awesome accomplishment. You're going to the Citrus Bowl. You're going to play the two team out of the Big Ten. It's going to be this cool week for the kids. It is a cool week for the kids. They do a great job. You get to go to Disney and SeaWorld and, and, and Universal and uh, they give you a whole bunch of gifts and you stay in resorts and they, you, you, you practice at UCF and you practice at the, uh, those little mm-hmm. fields over there by the, by the citrus bowl. And, and it's, it's, the weather's typically pretty nice in late December, early January in Orlando. And it's a good time, sad by all and you play the game and the game ends and that's that. Well, now it's be like, well, okay, but you know, it's, it's not a playoff game. It's just a filler game. And the question would literally be, the, one of the first questions would be to Lane Kiffin on the day that they announced the Citrus Bowl would be, how many, of your, how many of your guys do you anticipate opting out? And specifically, have you talked to Matt about whether Matt's going to play or not? No, I mean, this is, this is oh, my those, whole deal. Those would be the stories. No, to, to your point, growing up, and I understand, like, this isn't even like, oh, things change. Well, duh, of course things change. But as Spurrier said, you can't spell citrus without UT. Like, yeah. but that was usually like 10 and one Tennessee going to the Citrus Bowl because they lost to Florida. 10 and two. Yeah. The number two team in the SEC went to the Citrus Bowl. Yeah, and you'd play now, State or somebody, and it was a big game, and everybody watched it. And it was a New Year's Day. Game. Like, I remember thinking, like, I remember asking my dad, like, when they hired Cutcliffe and Eli was coming, it's like, do you think it's even possible for them to get to a New Year's Day bowl? Like, that was sure. That was the thing. And he's like, ah, man, I don't know. He's like, you know, I mean, son, if you're, if you're an Ole Miss person, he's like, I've been to one. <laughs> it was like 92. Like, it's, you know, that's how long it's been. And, he's, and so, you know, you look at now who goes to the Citrus Bowl. Well, for sure, one team's getting in the playoff. It's possible two are getting in the playoff. At least another two are going to the New Year's Six. At, you know, you're looking at the fifth team going to the Citrus Bowl. And it's like the same thing. It's, you know, it was the joke that I made. It's like when, when they went to the Sugar Bowl. It was an awesome weekend. It was like, that's the thing. Like, quit worrying about, like, the status and whatnot. Like, you had a great time with your, like, sure. that's what college football is about. It's like the experiences. And, yeah. but it was a sugar bowl that was masked as an Outback Bowl. Like, of it was course. an Outback Bowl masquerading as the sugar bowl. Just like Doesn't the, mean second, that, the second cotton bowl was the same way. It was, it was a, cotton, it was a, a, it was a, frankly, it was kind of like a Outback Bowl masked up as a cotton bowl. It was the yes. same thing. And, but like last year, Ole Miss went to the Outback Bowl and the kids had a good time and it was great. And it, it, built, it was something they could build off of. It absolutely gave them momentum going into the next season. I mean, it's it's just a funny thing. I mean, I, I don't like the four-team playoff. You and I have talked about this. I've never liked it. I don't like it for all of the reasons we just discussed. I'm all for a 12-team playoff. I think it gives you two huge Saturdays of, quote, bowl games. Where yep. you have the 5, 12, 6, 11, 7, 10, 8, 9. Those winners play that big quarterfinal. It's kind of an NFL style playoff deal. And the NFL playoffs are a massive hit. They always are. It doesn't matter who's in an NFL playoff game. It doesn't matter if it's Cleveland or Jacksonville or Pittsburgh. It doesn't matter. And NFL playoff games get big numbers. And college games, college playoff games would get big numbers. 
uh, Notre Dame, um, Florida, or Notre Dame, Oklahoma playoff game is going to get a massive number. It just is. And so you play those games. There's more meaningful football on. You can still have the bowls. The bowls can still be what they've already become. Whatever. I mean, I'm even of the television inventory. Yeah, it's a TV inventory. I'm even I'm I'm in fact, I'm all for the first round being on campus. I, the, I'm, I'm with you. I, and the the one losers, thing that I'm and the really losers can go to bowl games if they choose. I, you want to talk about opt outs there. Holy oh, sure. But they're opting out now. But, no, I, oh, I, but I'm just saying like, hey, yeah, it's sure. just a playoff game. You want to go but, play another bowl? But, game. but yes, I, I'm with you. I'm just for but transparently it, admitting that, that ESPN admits, hey, look, it's December. And it's early January, and people are at home, and we know they're home, and we just need stuff on TV. We really don't care how good the stuff is. We just need the stuff on TV. We need live please, games. Please wear your nice uniforms and play on live TV. Yes. And, and like, you know, when we, we discuss all of it, though, one thing I'm really looking forward to, as my generation starts to come more into decision-making, we don't we don't have this love affair for bowl games and they're going to lose their power. Like this idea that these bowl games are holding up a lot of it. It's unbelievable. Like it's just so stupid because to your point, I'm totally cool with doing it full NFL style. Hell put every freaking game up until the championship game at, at a stadium. Like, are you telling me that wouldn't look like part of college football? We discussed it on the opening weekend. Yeah, it was cool to see the Clemson-Georgia game. How much cooler would that have been to see it at Athens or to see it at the environments are part of the sport? It's of course. It's a character. Of course. And if you want to have your championship at a neutral field, I get that. Like, you don't want someone to have an advantage. Like, that's fine. But, like, Put all these things on campus. Like, that's the sport. Put Texas A&M at Ohio State in a national quarterfinal game. Hell yeah. In. Absolutely. I'd much rather see that than see Texas A&M at Ohio State at the freaking big toaster in Glendale. I was the one I was getting ready to say, where it's half full and it's like, this doesn't look right. Just play a chance. I'm I'm with you completely. And And to your point, and that's the leverage that you have over the bowls where you look the sugar bowl and the Rose bowl, which are the two big culprits square in the eye. And you go, Hey, listen, you guys have been good to us. So we're going to give you an, one last little opportunity here. You can get on the train or you can do whatever the hell you want without it. And we'll just play those games on campus. We're going to, or even better. You know, who is going to get on this train? Orlando wants in. Oh, yeah. We're going to go to Orlando because we got a presence in Orlando. I don't know if you're aware, but Disney's got a pretty good presence in Orlando, and we're going to go move it there. And they'll play that game whatever day and time you tell them to play it. Hell, yeah. You see I how many bowl it. games they put? Yeah. they. Think Tampa come on. Would, you don't think Tampa would jump in on that? Come you, on, guys. Yeah. Uh, Santa Clara, Phoenix. I mean, all of those plays. It, it, it's not a complicated deal. The Rose Bowl would just – let the Rose Bowl act like they got screwed, and but at the end of the day, they'll sign on, and and the Sugar Bowl will sign on because they. The, what alternative do they have? Nothing. What, what choice? And that's what I'm at saying. Like, what my, do they have? Like, you know, my generation doesn't have some, you know, reverence for these people. We've sure. also not been paid off by these people. I think that's probably another big part well, of it. And you didn't grow up like your dad and me. We grew up at a 
time when New Year's Day was it was it was a holiday. It was special. It was it was those well, were on top and, on and top of that. Like it's there was what fifteen bowl games. Yeah, I, I remember the Blue Bonnet Bowl in Houston. Yeah, I mean, well, sh- hell, the 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 uh, Blockbuster Bowl used to be a big game. Yeah. It's just that now there's so many games. I don't blame ESPN. You've got ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPNU, and you've got all this stuff that you've got to put inventory on during the holidays. I get it. I, I 100% understand. But you can't pretend like everybody going to a bowl game doesn't water down bowls. It, it absolutely waters down bowls. Now, I'm for them because I like football. Give me football. Um, I'm trailing in Neil's it's picks. My, it's when me 40 opportunities the- to catch up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. But let's not pretend that it's that it's something that it's not. That's my point. Let's just be transparent and go. This is TV inventory. Again, yes. please wear your pretty uniforms. Wear the best ones you got. We're gonna put some patches on them. Um, come on down, and we'll make we'll figure this out. We just need something to put on at four o'clock until seven thirty, so that we can then have the holiday bowl. That that that's yes. all it is. Yes. And maybe it's you know maybe it's an opportunity for you and your family to take a trip. Sure, of course. Oh, if you yeah. want to come, great, absolutely. Yeah. But it's not about people in the stands. It's about people. No, in the it's stands. about the, it's. No, they'd, it's, they'd it's, have killed two thirds of them by now. Yes. I mean, they play a game in Memphis every year. I mean, how many people are actually at the Liberty Bowl when Missouri plays West Virginia on a freezing ass day at four o'clock in the afternoon? I mean, it's what thirty thousand, thirty, thirty-eight, forty, something like that. Yeah, I see you, man. Yeah. You're not doing that game for the gate. You're doing that game for the TV, and they show Beale Street and. It's getting close to the New Year's Eve, and they show all the stuff, and everybody goes, oh, Memphis might be a fun place to go visit for whatever. It's, that's all it is to it. Hey, yeah. uh, let's get to Ole Miss Liberty for a minute. You, you've <laughs> Do we have to? Briefly. Uh, I don't want to spend much time on it because, quite frankly, it's one of those games where if we're still talking about this on Monday, something went wrong. This is just a game where Ole Miss needs to win it. doesn't matter how they win it. doesn't have to be pretty. Just win the game. Get to next week. Next week's a huge game for. It's no longer about winning a championship, but it is you? It's that the access bowls, the the the. Um, what do you? What do we call them? What do we call the the, the New Year's Six? New Year's Six. It's an opportunity to make one of those games. Ole Miss and Texas A and M will both be in that mix, probably going into that game next weekend, and so that's a that'll be a big one. If Ole Miss Jeffrey doesn't have, um, Jonathan Mingo. Braylon Sanders and Dontario Drummond this weekend. If all are out, how do they go about beating Liberty? Is it just run the ball? Yeah, it's it's run the ball, and you know it's. I think Jaron Neely can have if if Jaron Neely may not have been able to run on Auburn. I I hope he's able to run on Liberty. Parish, I mean it's it's a running back day. You know Snoop gets a bunch of carries and. And then if they load the box, well, if they load the box and try to take away the run, you're going to have some one-on-ones, and Liberty's defense is not very good. I mean, their their corners are not going to – even if you've got your, you know, your second group of receivers, they should be able to beat those guys one-on-one. And then, you know, defensively – 31 game, points to ULM. I mean, they're not going to – Jacour Pearson could have a field day on, on Liberty. Casey Kelly could have a field day on Liberty. Danis yeah, Jackson. I mean, if Danis Jackson can't get open against Liberty, you got problems. Yeah, I mean, they gave up five over five yards of play even to UAB, and, and you know UAB doesn't have a good offense. I mean, no. You know, it, it's, it's they've played the nobody. Yes, it's. I mean, the best team they've played is Syracuse, maybe. Yeah, 
and they lost. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think Ole Miss would be probably what a double digit favorite probably against Syracuse. I mean, oh yeah. The line was a little surprising to me, but I think that baked in some corral uh questions. But I mean, I- I'm like you. It yeah, I mean, listen, Liberty is if if your top three receivers being down against Liberty costs you to win, that's kind of a bigger concern. Liberty has played Campbell, Troy, Old Dominion, Syracuse, UAB, Middle Tennessee, ULM, North Texas, and UMass. That's what they've played. Yeah, I don't have I have the game log in front of me. I don't know what their combined record is, but it's bad. They uh, biggest crowd they've played in front of was at UAB when UAB opened that stadium. 37,167. They've given up... uh, They've given up 2,700 yards of offense. They've given up um, 1,498 passing yards. This hasn't played anybody. They're giving up... They've given up 1,202 rushing yards, 3.4 yards of play. 5.9 5.9 yards average per pass. They're whatever. Yeah, their strength of schedule has is 123. Yeah. There's 130 teams. It's just a game Ole Miss is going to win. I mean, I'm, I've been saying this for weeks. I watched them against ULM in large part because I thought it was funny that ULM was staying in the game, and then ultimately ULM won the game on the last second kick, so I watched the whole thing, and they're not good. Willis is good. And so if you're Ole Miss, you, you yeah, yeah, but I actually think it was helpful playing Bo Nix last week because the same game plan, you can kind of use the same game plan. Don't let him get outside. Yeah. He's not a good thrower. Right. Bo Nix was a better quarterback than Malik Willis. You know how we know this? Malik Willis is at Liberty. Yeah. Nix made some throws last week. He really did. He played well. He's played well for three He's weeks. He's gotten better this year. He has. They've done a good job with him. What, it, what do you make of – Ole Miss's wide receiver issue out of the outside of the injuries. Why can't some of these other guys step up and contribute more than they have? Is it is it evaluation? Is it development? Is it is it the, the speed that they try to go makes it more difficult to get guys ready? What what is it that is happening? In, so in my mind, it's somewhat of a self fulfilling prophecy. And here's what I mean by that: Ole Miss doesn't scheme you open with play concepts. So, for instance, if you take a look at, like, we, we've all been watching Eli Manning tape, the you know, old highlights and whatnot. If you look at Ole Miss's offense under David Cutcliffe, it's a lot of this receiver is running this route so that this guy can come open, and it's, it's a lot of, you know, post, dig, dump, but it's all the play itself is designed to scheme someone open. How Ole Miss currently schemes you open is they get you misaligned with tempo. And I think what we're seeing with these receivers, I don't necessarily think it is a talent issue. Seems to me Dennis Jackson can run pretty well. It, it seems uh, some of these other guys can, can run pretty well. Pearson seems to run pretty well. I don't know how he catches it. But the problem for Ole Miss is whether or not they don't know what to do, whether or not it's a little bit slower because – they haven't had as many reps. They cannot go fast, and they can't misalign you right at the beginning. And so because of that, 
these aren't like difficult concepts. Like I'm not running, I am not running a route so that this guy can get open. I like we're it's it's all based on you know spot on the field whatnot, and it's just like you're just honestly, I I know this is a trigger word for some people. A lot of it's chasing space, chasing grass. Like I mean, you know what I mean? Like you know, for all the jokes about Longo, like that isn't a unique concept. Like that's that's kind of like what you do. Sure, you go to you. It turns out you go to where the open spots are. Mm-hmm. That, that that's not a unique thing, but because they can't go fast, well. Now they're not getting open because you're not horribly misaligned. Like in the end, like we used to call them busted coverages. And I know some people just say like, well, okay, this is, this is a bust. But in reality, it's usually a bust because they've misaligned you because they've gone so fast and you didn't have enough time to get lined up. And so that's, that's kind of the, if you've never played safety, you know, that you don't know that when a, when there's motion, a lot of times the coverage change, that coverage change. Correct. If I, if I start out in two by two and then I send one guy to the other side, well, if we had cover two called or we had cover four called, well, we're rolling most likely to cover three because we're going to roll to the trip side. Like yeah, I, even, if, even if you're just running some base coverages, if you're just going from, from man to, uh, yeah. to cover two to cover three to yeah. some combination coverage where you're p- putting people in the flats and yet you're, you're taking slot receivers on man or – Safety's picking up, whatever, whatever the case may be. Two man under, yeah. That requires some communication. You have to communicate, you know, hey, Correct. check two, check three. <laughs> hey, we're checking in three. That Those are words that have to come out of your mouth and have to be heard by the other person's ears and registered in their brain. And if you're going super fast and the, a snap goes off as, you're, as the safety or whoever is responsible for calling the coverage is checking right. into three and – Two, two dudes on this side think that it's cover two and a couple of guys over here think that it's cover three and somebody goes running by and this guy thought, oh, you're picking him up. And he thought, no, you're going with him. Well, that's there you go. Ball game. That's, that's and how it, those guys are literally that. Like when you sit there and you go, how was he that open? Well, that's that's exactly how it happened. Because the strong safety thought you were in man and the free safety thought that you were in two. And that's yes. what happened. And, and so, um, you know, when you can't go fast the defense is getting those calls they're getting checked into hey everybody knows we're in three right yep yep everybody knows it. okay cool yep check we're ready and so that it, it's really not any more complicated than that I, I just I think Ole Miss can can I think Liberty will stack the box because that's the thing that Auburn did last week I just don't think Liberty has the personnel or anything resembling the personnel that Auburn has and I don't think it's going to matter that's my opinion I'm with you I mean I I think you said it properly. If we talk about this game beyond this segment, something went horribly wrong, and it was a bigger issue than – Yeah. It was a bigger issue rather than scheme. You know what I mean? All right, last few minutes I have with you. I want to spend it on coaching carousel stuff because it's November, and it's almost time to turn it, and you love it about as much Neil, as you do. Could this be? could this be the carousels of carousels? It's got a chance. I know. It's got a real chance. So here's the scenario. Tell me where I'm crazy. James Franklin goes to USC, mm-hmm. opens up the Penn State job. Mm-hmm. I Lincoln, think I know where you're going. Lincoln Riley goes to LSU and just takes the money. They go, hey, listen, man. You've gotten so close at OU. You've had good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks. 
you put up all these points. But remember that Rose Bowl when you played Georgia and you had this great offensive game and you lost anyway? You remember that? He's going to go, yeah, I do. Imagine what would happen if you still could get those offensive weapons and you could get the big boys. Yeah, imagine, you know how you, you feel like you lost because you had 286 on the front line? Well, imagine you've got 334 yeah. on the front line. And by the way, he runs a 4-7. Um, imagine we'll get you four of those. Yeah, when you watch Jordan Davis kick your ass in yeah. the final this year, remember yeah. that we're going to get you some of the Remember, we, we've had, I don't know if you've seen the NFL, but we've had a few of them ourselves. Oh, and by the way, Lincoln, and could you bring your wife in for this part of the conversation? Yeah. Um, we'll pay you $13 million a year. Yeah, and again, Mrs. Riley, I, we <laughs> understand it's about more than money. Yes, yes. We just want you to know, but we know you love Norman, but we got a lot of really nice neighborhoods here, too. I know it's He's, about more than money, but it's really not about more than money, right? Right. You, right? you said fifteen million, right? <laughs> yeah, we said thirteen, but we meant fourteen. So, and I—I well, I mean, that's the thing about Woodward. I actually think where Woodward is smart is when he decides I'm getting this guy. He didn't give a shit that people were laughing at him that he gave Jimbo seventy-five million dollars. He literally just said, "Well, and, and I got he, the only available coach with a national championship, and that was what it cost. That well, was what it took to get him." Well, in, here, in, in defense of Scott Woodward, the Jimbo deal's kind of starting to look like a bargain. Oh, it's starting to look like market rate. <laughs> and so, you know, whatever. I mean, look, if you're, the, if you're the New York Mets and you sign Carlos Correa to $300 million, I know it's not a good example because they already have a shortstop, but you know what I mean. Sure. Pick, pick a team and you sign him to $300 million and he wins you a World Series, it was worth it. Right then, worth 100%. It. I mean, so what difference does it freaking make? It's just play money. I mean – I mean, there's probably people at Ole Miss going, well, it's not play money for us, and that's just – it is what it is. So, but let's play along. Lincoln Riley goes to, uh, goes to LSU. Well, but by the way, if you're at Ole Miss, you did a whole lot to earn that ESPN money. You worked really hard for that. Like, Again, come on. Whoever got you in the league. Exactly. Um, the greatest move in all time. So now Florida opens? Are you well, going? so in your, in your scenario, you're sending Mullen to Penn State to get out before he gets got? Yep. Who takes Hopefully OU? Florida job. Well, now you have the OU job, which is super hot. Like, the list of guys who would want that job is incredible. And I don't know. I've, I've already thought about to myself who would be on OU's hot board, and I don't know. Luke, I don't know. Board? Well, because is there – here's Does the Luke thing about Pickle OU, though. Sense at OU? Really? Because here's the deal. OU's kind of cool. Like – that's real. They're cool. not going to like the, well, the, but they're not, they're kind of cool with they're getting ready they to have jump s- into this big league. And that's the other reason Lincoln Riley wants out. He sees the writing on the wall. He's like, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, but I'm saying they're, 12, but boy, no, no, oh, I, I'm with you on that, but it's like, well, in fairness though, A&M recruited at a certain level. Then they got into the sec. And even with someone, they recruited yeah. at like it. It's but kind it's of like rising tides, but it's taken time and multiple people had to get fired first. Yeah, but, I mean, someone, like, they went from literally the first year, like, they went from, like, 30-something, and then they're in the SEC the next year, they're top 10. Like, it it, it, it took yeah, time to get you to You understand but, my point. If there's no Johnny Manziel there, they, they look like, they look stupid at first. Completely agree with you. I also think, like, I kind of think Lincoln, like, in the end, everyone assumes, like, he's an Oklahoma guy. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, this guy's from Texas. He played at Texas Tech. Like, whatever. Like, I, I don't. 
But Oklahoma's kind of cool scoring a lot, and then they don't really care if their defense sucks. Fickle feels like a bad fit to me because Fickle's just not going to do that. Like, he's he's just not going to be wide open. Like, OU's kind of cool knowing, like, all right, we're probably going to lose to, like, Kansas State once a year, but we're going to win the rest of them, and we have a we have a lot of fun. We score. Like, they're kind of cool with that. Um, that ain't Luke Fickle. I I don't know because now – the other thing that's fascinating about the coaching carousel to me, who, what, are these, what are these big 12 jobs going to be perceived as by the coaching community? Like, forget what the narrative is. What we're going to find out is, do coaches think the big 12 is essentially becoming a G5? Yes. And if so, yes. I, th- I, I tend to believe that, but yeah, I do, like, do kind of want to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's yeah, the thought. I, that- I think they're going to view it like a little bit more concentrated version of the American. Today. Yeah, I think they're going to view it like every job's the UCF job. Yeah, it's fair. Like I, I think they're like they're the big ones at least. Yeah. Now, the bigger question though is, we laid out the Clemson scenario like when we talked about you know we talked about are, are they at a crisis point? It's only expensive for Dabo to go to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Does he maybe take that phone call from Florida? From any one of these ones that we're just talking about. Well, Florida, Dabo to Florida makes so much freaking sense that it's unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever seen those Clemson rosters. He recruits, and they want somebody who will recruit night and day, and that's what he does. And he he doesn't stop. He's relentless. He's already frustrated at Clemson because he sees the writing on the wall with this big money thing that's coming up, and he knows the ACC can't compete. And on top of that, like, he does kind of align with Florida from a, from a, you know, well, I don't want, you know, even though, even though he's still Bama made, like, yeah. he'll pay for, he'll pay for defensive linemen. I want to make that clear. They're expensive. I will pay for those. But we're going to run a clean program here. We're going to run a clean program. We're not going to do, do it, it like right those way. guys, those infidels over there at Georgia. Yeah. No, sir. We're gonna, you know, <laughs> but to be clear, you got to pay for the, you got to pay up front. Like yeah, those yeah, guys, but like, yeah. eh. Makes like, a lot of I, sense. Makes a lot of sense. And so now you're talking the Clemson jobs open. Like, oh, that's where I do. And that's where Clemson goes. And so I think that's where Clemson calls up. Uh, people keep talking about Mel Tucker and people like that. And look, I think Mel Tucker's doing one hell of a job. One hell of a job at Michigan State. But, you know, that's where the Clemson's Clemson's a good job now. Not a, not, not a great job. Great facilities. And you got all the stuff that you need. And so they can throw a bunch of money at somebody. Well, are we also sure in five years that the Clemson job is better than Michigan State job? No, no. Because if you if you can't be in the SEC, you want to be in the Big Ten. Yes. I mean, I'll say this. Some SEC people that I've been hearing, like, laughing, like, please, LSU, go hire Mel Tucker. I think that is a mistake. I think that guy would go there and win. I do, too. I think he'd win. I think he, I think he would embrace so much of what it is they like to do. Uh, they can play a, a brand of smash mouth football that you can get the players at LSU to do it. Um, no, no, he's, he's listen, Mel Tucker's legitimately good. I, I think he would win big there. Now. I also think I'd rather he probably would rather like have Lincoln Riley. Although no, I, think, uh, I think Scott wants a more proven commodity. I mean, I'll tell you this. I really believe what I'm about to say, and I don't care what anybody has said. It doesn't matter. I think the two guys that Scott Woodward wants before he goes anywhere else 
And I think Mel Tucker's big time on their list. I think he wants to see if he can get Lincoln Riley. And I think he will absolutely see if he can get Jimbo Fisher. I do. And no one can convince me I'm wrong. I don't care what anybody says. I know that relationship. I've talked to people about it. I think if, if, if Scott Woodward can't get Lincoln Riley, he will at least make a very quiet overture towards Jimbo Fisher. And unless, and, and until Jimbo. Did Jimbo goes, save his number? Oh, they know each other's numbers. Yeah. Until, until Jimbo goes, Hey, look, I just can't, I can't. I, I think at that point he gets into the rest of his list, which is. It feels like to me, the floor is Mel Tucker. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, there are people who are not convinced Mel Tucker will take the job. Well, he is in a tough spot in that. And you can't pay Mel Tucker $12 million Unless you're absolutely think, convinced that. I think you're right, but man, why not? <laughs> I mean, I mean they, everyone does this. Like, we keep doing the, we keep hearing about how broke these schools are. They seem to find the money. Yeah, like, no, they'll have it. My point is, is if you bring in Mel Tucker and put some, he's not. Look, I think he's going to, I think he would win there, but he's not the sure thing Lincoln Riley is. I don't see, this is where I disagree with everyone. I don't think Lincoln Riley's a sure thing. I think he's had the best job in that league for a long time. And, and he's had it for a long time. And you could be right. Like, here's what, I, Lincoln, here's what Lincoln Riley does for you at LSU, though, right? Here's what Lincoln Riley absolutely does for you at LSU. This is not debatable. He, he solves your quarterback problem. Every single seat in your stadium. Correct. And he solves your quarterback problem. He, yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. He, he comes in. So many of the things that haunt them go away. Yep. So many of their worst fears. Hey, we've put all this money into the stadium. We owe so much money on the stadium. We cannot afford for the stadium to be empty. It won't be. It'll be packed to the gills with Lincoln Riley as your coach. It would be viewed, and for Scott Woodward, who wants to be viewed as a guy who every time he goes to the plate hits home runs. Yes. It's a home run. The media will yes, go, he did it again. He did it. He did it yeah, again. He did it again. Absolutely. And then the other thing about Lincoln Riley, from a Scott Woodward standpoint, after dealing with all of the crap with Orgeron, you won't get that with him because Lincoln Riley's pretty boring. Yeah. No, he's kind of like a football nerd. Yeah. And so, he's a he's kind of like he is a He's similar to Malzahn in that, like, he's like the football nerd, but he's less antisocial. <laughs> yeah. And he also runs a less stupid offense. Yeah. Yeah. He's a much better coach than God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing we're seeing, man. Like, look at – I'm willing to concede this could be a wash year for Gus, a year zero, if you will, getting to UCF. But so far – Hypo looks pretty good at Tennessee. They look pretty competent. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And Auburn, you tell me they don't look better. They're, they're significantly better. I mean, Ole Miss just has to wish that Gus would have stayed one more year because that's a W for Ole Miss last um, Saturday. 100%. Harson's done a good job there. He's changing the culture. He's kind of doing it the way that makes sense to be done there where you can recruit those kinds of players there. I'm I mean, it's a solid hire. It's it's a little bit different, but he's kind of doing what Tubbs did there. Yeah, a lot of similarities. They're gonna play. They're gonna play bully ball. Mm -hmm. And Auburn loves that. They embrace that. Run, baby, run. I mean, the only thing that anybody's been able to criticize him on really is the whole vaccine stuff. 
I mean, and nobody cares. That's go. That shit's going away. Well, no one cares except for the fact she's like, just like everyone's just like sitting there, just like, why are you making this a deal? Like, you know what I mean? Like, stop. Like, it's just. And it's just him doubling down on it, and it's going to go away. I mean, it's absolutely going to go away. I mean, it, by this time a year from now, it's going to be completely gone because we're going to be in a full election cycle. And you saw what happened, not to get into politics at all, but you saw what happened last night in politics, and you know a year from now it's going to go, we can't, we can't do this. We cannot be on the side of shutdown. It, that, that, gets you, that gets you out of office, and so it's going to go away. And, and he's going to get to be his personality there, and I – I think he's I think he's a good fit for Auburn. I do. And you just kind of look around the league and I know what I think, I think our boy Allen, I think our boy Allen uh, we talk about Keith Carter doing the big ball play. Sure. No, he, he, he I did. think Allen showed real big nuts. Yeah. And then on top of that, I think he found like because at first I was like, man, I don't know about this fit. Like, I don't know. I sound seems like Allen knew what he was doing. There's no question about it. Much better fit than Kevin Steele. Um <laughs> So, you know, and so I know what people are thinking. So what about Kiffin? Here's the thing about Kiffin for any of those jobs. And you know me, I've been advocating Kiffin since 2017. So this is not a knock on Kiffin at all. But people got to look at Kiffin and go, okay, he's been at Ole Miss for two years. They're winning. Done a good job on the field. But that roster's kind of weird. Like this wide receiver thing that we started with is kind of a weird thing. And if I'm evaluating them, I'm like, what is up with that? Why don't they have any more defensive linemen? Why don't some of their young offensive linemen that they've signed, how come none of those guys can get on the field? What's up with his roster? And at the end of this season, he's got a – Ole Miss has to process 20 guys. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but not much. they got to process a bunch of guys. They're really dependent on the, on the transfer portal. It's, it's not a knock-on lane to say, hey – I think this guy's really good, but he hasn't proven yet that he can come in and run a program. He's proven that he can come in and win with a team. He's a very good coach. There's no question about that. But the question is, can he run a program? And if you're going to pay somebody $12, $13 million at, at LSU or Florida, you're hiring a program guy. You're not hiring a guy to come in and run tempo. You're hiring a program guy. And if he runs tempo, awesome but you're hiring a program guy and you want to go, can you recruit at a really high level? And you look at old Mrs. Recruiting class so far and you're like, nah, it's okay. Solid, solid, not spectacular. They're not, they're not knocking it out of the park. And, and I, that's where I think the only job, there's two jobs that I, my eyes would be on for Kiffin. One is Miami. If they fire Diaz and I don't know that they will. I mean, the I'm other, telling you, man, they've, he, he, he's playing these young guys. In the last couple of weeks, like they've looked pretty good. Like, yeah, I don't think he plays the young guys if he thought he was truly going to get canned. And the other job is UCLA, just because it's out there, and he's got his obviously his children are out there, and and there's no doubt that Lane loves his children, and and that's the only other job that I look at. And I think UCLA is not going to pay what Ole Miss is paying. That's the problem. This is the other aspect of it. Yeah, I don't even know if you could say this ten years ago. UCLA is not a better job than Ole Miss. No, it's not like, because in the end, in the end at Ole Miss. Yeah. There's frustration. If he goes eight and four in perpetuity, he's going to make as long as eight, $9 million every single year for as long as, and yep. for as long as he wants. Now, the bigger question though on Kiffin is I'm paying a lot of attention to 
coaching narratives right now. And I think it's, you know, it used to be, hey, we believe the job recruits itself. And there are a few out there. I think LSU probably recruits itself. But there are guys that clearly have done it better. And if I'm someone that understands, hey, man, this sport now more than ever is who's got the most dudes. Has Kiffin proven he is a dynamic recruiter? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, okay, when everyone's like, well, he recruited pretty well at USC, it's like, okay, well, he didn't, he didn't recruit at the same level. Now, granted, they had sanctions, and there yeah. was – I, 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 won't, I won't hold that against him because it was the sanctions were crippling. Correct. And so he, he like, recruited at Alabama, but everybody recruits at Alabama. He he did a great he, job he at also, FAU, but he didn't. Sarkeesian recruited the same. Like you know what I mean? Like sure. Oh yeah, no. He that's the one thing he hasn't proven. He hasn't proven that as the head of a program. And again, this is not a knock on Kiffin at all. It's just it's a reality check for the people that are like, oh my god, he's going to leave. Oh my god, he's going to leave. If you're Florida. Lane Kiffin's a risky hire. Well, on top of that, like. Might be a great hire. Might end up being the home run of home runs. But he's yet to prove. You're, 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 getting, you're getting to the should we fire Dan phase of his tenure there based on the fact that he can't recruit the way that Correct. you need him to recruit. And, he, and let's, let's also go through, like, everything about him. Kiffin is a little more savvy. Yeah. But they both have the same knock. Behind the scenes, mercurial person. Not, uh, not super easy to work with. Not a people That's person. A yeah. Not a people person. Sure. Offen offensive schematic savant. Sure. Very bright. And Lane's terrific on social media. But unproven, unproven. Like it, that's, they're just going. It, it's why when people do it, I'm like, listen, I, I think you're stressed out over nothing because anybody that evaluates it goes, think he's a really good coach. I know he's a great offensive mind. He's a phenomenal play caller, an elite play caller, all of those things. But can he recruit the way that you got to recruit to win huge against Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and those kinds of people? And so far, the, 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 the answer is, I don't know. Not, it's not no, but it's not yes. There's nothing in the Ole Miss class right now that makes you go, son of a bitch, that dude can recruit, man. He can tear it up. And some people will go, well, COVID, okay. I mean, look where they are right now. They're like 30-something, 29, 30 in the rankings. Not that the rankings matter, but they're not a top 10-ish class. They typically close well, well. to be clear, the rankings don't matter yet. Yeah. Rankings matter. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they got to get it done. So I, I, it, it, people are like, well, is he going to fall off the carousel? And my guess is no. My guess is no. I mean, the only thing UCLA offers is something that Ole Miss can't compete against. Ole Miss can't pick up and move to the Pacific Ocean. So – if, I mean, and the, if, but the reality is UCLA, UCLA can't pay Chip Kelly and Kiffin. Yeah, no, they, there would have to be – something would have to happen financially that would be different. And then the other question is, like, if he goes out there, can he, can he put together the kind of staff that you need to put together? Can he put together the support staff, the analyst staff that Ole Miss is going to support? I, I don't know because the Pac-12 doesn't make the money the SEC makes. So probably, on top of that – do you really want to go head to head with James Franklin? I mean, I think everyone would agree you're a better in-game coach on Saturday. You're the better coach. I would question whether you could put the machine together to compete against what's going to be that machine. And I think that James Franklin is not taking that USC job if they're not putting the machine together. 
no doubt. Because he was going to have other options where they would put the machine together. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, I kept you too long. Thanks for the time. Really appreciate it as always. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Ben Mintz, Barstool Sports, joins us as he always does uh, at this spot. Ben, always good to see you. Hope you had a uh, fun trip to New Orleans. It looked like you had a good time. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, I think that's putting it mildly. New Orleans, look, New Orleans has gone through so much with COVID and Ida. Really hadn't popped since Mardi Gras 2020, and it went down in NOLA for Halloween last weekend. And I've always been a huge New Orleans Halloween fan. When I saw that the Bucks were going to be in town – and then I caught. I actually went to Cincinnati Tulane on Saturday. I had a great time at Tulane. Uh, and then I caught some widespread panic shows. I mean, it was just an unbelievable weekend. And you know, couldn't have picked a better Sunday to be in the Superdome. I uh, just, uh, just that pick six. The dome was rocking, and uh, it was it was really special. I'm gonna touch on some of those games in a second because I, 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 Cincinnati, the Bearcats are in the news today. Everybody's saying Cincinnati's getting screwed not in the top four and all that stuff. You saw them in person. What kind of a team are they? I, I think it was one of those games where, okay, we see this all the time, these 11 a.m. kickoff games where you have these really sluggish starts, and they were sleepwalking first half, leading 14-12 at the half. But even though they were up two, you never thought there was any chance they could lose the game. I mean, Tulane also had a third-string quarterback out there, so they couldn't move the ball. But it's a weird thing. Cincinnati's one of those teams where – you know, so much is about style points and these rankings, but they're just a team that wins, you know, and sometimes they're teams that like to win ugly. And, you know, I know they didn't run it up on Tulane. They didn't come near covering the 28 number, but they still won 31-12 comfortably. Uh, I'm a believer in them. I like them more than pe- most people do. And, you know, I, I just – what rubs me wrong about college football is this kind of stuff. I can't wait till we have an 8 or 10, 12-team playoff where, you know, maybe Cincinnati – you know, people are going to say, okay, if Cincinnati plays Alabama, Bama's a two-touchdown favorite, fine. Cool. Let's just see it on the field. You know, I just hate all this speculative stuff. And, you know, what makes college basketball, the NCAA tournament so great is everybody gets their shot, man. And look, you know, we've only seen a 16 beat a one once. I mean, even though they get killed all the time, just let them have their chance on the field. You know, I, that's that's just what rubs me wrong. And it's the same thing over and over. College football's regular season so great. But the playoffs are always Alabama and Ohio State. And, you know, it's just time for something different. You saw the Saints the next day. You saw a big win, but also a big loss. Jameis Winston goes down with the ACL. He's out for the year. How do you anticipate the Saints addressing the quarterback situation the rest of the way? I think it's time to go to Taysom Hill and be a running team. You saw Mark Ingram back now. Uh, I think they're going to run the ball with Ingram and Kamara. Now the news came out today that Michael Thomas isn't coming back this year, which I've got a lot of things to say, and not many of them are positive on that front. Um, But – I just think when you really look at it, uh, they just got to run the ball and keep playing defense. I mean, the defense is carrying this football team, you know, at all three levels, Cam Jordan and, you know, getting David on your model back. Mario Davis, one of the best linebackers in the NFL. They got an elite secondary. Uh, Sean Payton, I mean, whatever he makes, and he's one of the highest paid coaches in the NFL, he deserves more. I got a stat for you, Neil. Last 71 regular season games with an aging Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston – 54 wins and 17 losses. It's amazing. That's pretty uh, pretty good. Pretty good. And so right. I think everybody's going to sit here and count the Saints out because I know Jameis and Thomas. But, you know, as long as that defense is playing well, uh, I think they're going to keep manufacturing wins. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to be a Super Bowl team or anything like that, but they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to keep being a successful organization. 
you don't put any stock in Philip Rivers rumors or Drew Brees rumors or any of that. I, right? I can't. The Drew Brees ship has sailed. I think that's done. The Rivers thing I could kind of see because uh, Rivers, you know, he's kind of mobile area guy. He's already said he'd be open to it. I mean, I feel like he's a smart guy, cerebral guy. You know, I, I could kind of see that, but I think they're going to roll with Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon um, is what I think. The Breeze thing, I just think it's ship sailed. I mean, I kind of honestly think Sean Payton was ready to move on from Breeze a couple years ago, to be truthful. Yeah, I do too. I, actually, I think where some of that Tom Brady stuff comes from is that's what Sean Payton was trying to get done a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. That came up in New Orleans this weekend. So Tom Brady and Sean Payton shared the same agent. And Brady actually called Drew Brees before the 2020 season asking if he was going to retire or play because when Brady was deciding he was leaving New England, he wanted to go to New Orleans, and Brees said he was playing again. So I, I didn't really – I think Jay Glazer had reported it at the time, but I don't know how I forgot about that story. Um, but that was kind of – Tom Brady and Brees weren't friends, and that kind of sparked their relationship. And you saw them playing on the field with their kid, Brees' kids after the game last year. But, yeah – it's funny, man, the ripples in the pond in sports, man, this kind of stuff. Like, what would it be like if Tom Brady was in New Orleans? But um, certainly love seeing him throw that pick six on Sunday. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to Ole Miss. Ole Miss loses at Auburn last weekend, 31-20. Um, to 20. I, I thought the, the couple of big stories were the eight trips to the red zone. You kind of come away with only two touchdowns. And then the thing that kind of concerns me moving forward Lane Kiffin talked about it today on the SEC coaches teleconference is they're just kind of down bodies on the offensive side. He said he's never seen anything like it. Um, it sounds like all three receivers are likely out this weekend. They're out a couple of linemen, you know, Chase Rogers is out. Um, what were your thoughts on what happened at, at Auburn? And then what are your thoughts on sort of what they can do moving ahead offensively while they wait to get some bodies back? Like, so last weekend, it was just such a weird game. Because the first half, Bo Nix, you know, three passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, looks like a Heisman candidate. And then you saw Matt Corral get hurt, and that ankle thing looked bad when it happened. And then he came back and gave it such a good effort. But then you got to give the Ole Miss defense tons of credit for the second half. They kept them in that game. After getting wiped out in the first half, they allowed only three points. They made stop after stop. And I thought the key point in the game was when – uh, Ole Miss didn't take advantage of, of that uh, that big break in the third quarter. You know, when they got the they the Auburn uh, the play the, when Auburn gave them the ball, when Ole Miss had the four, like Auburn Ole Miss picked it up on a turnover in Auburn territory. Yeah, and Ole Miss had a chance to cut the game twenty eight twenty four, and we got stopped on the fourth down. And I thought right when that happened, I was like, man, that's just not that. That was the moment where I thought they could have gotten it, but then Crowell. He's only thrown two picks this year. You're, you're taught in Little League not to throw the ball, you know, back across the middle when you're on the sideline. That was a bad interception by him. Um, just like you said, the turnover, the red zone stuff, just so many opportunities given away. It was a, it was just really frustrating, to be honest, because it was just so weird with the two halves of the defense. I mean, the defense literally got wiped out in the first half and then couldn't have played harder in the second half uh, to give them a chance. But – you know, it really just comes back to you mentioned the bodies thing. I mean, Ole Miss playing with other top three receivers. You got young kids out there in Pearson, and those guys are receiver. They're really like learning how to run the right routes and all this stuff. And you know, Ole Miss has gone from a team that would throw for 350, 400 yards a game, that's throwing for 200 now. And Corrales had to use his legs. He said to take so many hits. He's had to do everything he could. We saw it in the Arkansas and Tennessee games. Uh, it, it's tough. It's just really tough to see. And 
you know, I think the one thing they've hopefully learned from this is next year when they start scheduling these bye weeks, this is one of the biggest mistakes they made was scheduling that before Bama. You didn't need a bye in late September, four weeks in. You needed a bye right now. Oh, yeah, this should be the week. Seven, eight-week gauntlet. And yeah. so now you this started with Bama, and it went Bama, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. Now you got two more tough ones. You know, you got a tricky one against Liberty and Freeze. Then you got a really tough one against A&M. The bye week should have been in the middle of this, and uh, I guarantee you Lane Kiffin agrees with that right yeah, now. Yeah, the bye week should be this weekend right now. This should be their off week. This would be a perfect week to take off. You'd basically not even practice. You'd, you'd, you'd give dudes just you'd, – you'd have some guys run around a little bit out there. You'd you know a lot of treatment, some mental work, and you'd, you'd shut it down. Instead, you got to play a football game against a team that I don't think is very good, Ben. I know that, that we're doing this, this Hugh Freeze thing. I haven't done it much. We did one day of it on the Oxford Exxon podcast. And feel free to go on a one-hour diatribe about Hugh Freeze. It's just, to me, it's just the storylines kind of, it's done. Uh, yeah, and it's been, and you had to cover it for years. And it was honestly, it was one of the most nauseating things because the NCAA took forever to rule. And it just, I mean, it put a cloud over Ole Miss for literally years. I mean, 2017 through 19, until the Kiffin hire, the freeze cloud lingered for four or five years. And, you know, you and I are both in this business. It was awful to be on our side of it and have to talk about it all the time. I mean, it was exhausting. Well, it was a five-year story. It just went on and on and on. It just got old, and I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted from it. And Hugh's nervous about coming back and all that. I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't, I don't even I, – I don't know what Ole Miss people are going to do. I, I I don't think I don't think Ole Miss can lose this game. This is the funny part I'm about to ask you is I don't think Ole Miss can lose this game because I don't think Liberty's good enough to win it. But I do have some concerns about what Ole Miss has to do to to go from not losing it to winning it, if that makes any sense. How do you go how do you go take the game? Is it just run the football? Yeah, I think you gotta run the ball. There's just a lot of a few things that concern me about this one. And I agree. Liberty was really good last year, especially when they beat Coastal Carolina in that bowl game. They won at Virginia Tech. They were a good football team last year. Malik Willis was getting projected at first round, but he's regressed a ton this year. I mean, you and I both saw what had a senior ULM Warhawk helmet right behind you. Uh, when Liberty Liberty lost as a 33-point favorite in Monroe a few weeks ago. I'm aware. That, you know, that's probably not very good. So, they're not as good, but – there's a lot of stuff to worry about here. I hate the 11 a.m. kickoff. I hate it. It's going to be, you know, our fan base is going to be down after what happened at Auburn. Our team's beat up. And this is just one of those things. It's another game for Ole Miss that's not an SEC game. After all these tough games, and it's Liberty Super Bowl. And it reminds me a lot of games Ole Miss has had trouble against Memphis in the past. It's a similar situation where it's just one team is like, this is the game they've had starred the whole year. Who knows what the heck trick plays Hugh Freeze is going to run in this game. I don't think Liberty's a good football team either. Or They're pretty good. They're not what they were last year. But the situation's just bad with Ole Miss being so banged up and being 11 a.m. I don't know. I, I think Ole Miss will pull it out, but, I, I mean, I am a little concerned about it. I'm a little uneasy. You know, I've told people this, and I'm glad – looking back, I'm glad that I ended up watching it because I, I got wind that ULM was leading Liberty, and I turned it on on my computer in here, and I ended up watching the whole game. And ULM, first of all, is not a good football team. No. Bowden has done a nice job. He really has. I think they're 4-4. Four and four. Oh, yeah. 
right now. He's one of the hardest schedules in the country, too. Yeah, he's done a good job. He's got the kids playing hard and all that stuff. So kudos to him. I was critical of the hire, and apparently I was at least for a year wrong. Um, but they're not good. They, 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 they're not particularly athletic. They're not particularly fast. They're not particularly physical. Um, and they kind of just sort of played a, a 50-50 game with Liberty, just kind of game – Neither team could do much. Uh, ULM made a few plays. What I noticed about Liberty and Willis is that Willis will beat you with his feet. He, he was effective with his feet against ULM. He was not a particularly good thrower in that game. They, he doesn't have a lot of weapons to work with. They're not particularly good up front. They're not very good against the run defensively. That's the just, key right there. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't I, – I know everyone's trying to kind of – not you, Ben, but a lot of people are like, oh, God, I'm worried about Hugh. And I'm like, eh, Hugh's not playing. Hugh's not on the field. I mean, that's, that's silly. This is this is not – I think this is a game, and I'm with you. It's 11. I think Ole Miss is going to sleepwalk. I think some of that stuff, they're beat up. But they're ranked, and they know they're playing for something, and they know that if they can somehow right the ship just a little bit, this week, get a little better. They get a big shot next week at a big night game against A&M that if they win it, a lot of their, you know, like the the access bowls, whatever you call them, are, are very much in play at that point. There's still a lot to play for. And I think they I think they kind of dominate defensively, and I think they do enough to win and, and get out of there. I, at the end of the day, I can't come up with a scenario where Liberty wins the football game, not even when I try really hard. Well, I think the key you, you mentioned is Willis's legs, and we saw how Chance Campbell's fought on Malik Cunningham week one against Louisville, and you got to think that's going to be a big key in this one because uh, he did such a good job with that and, and really has all year uh, spot on these quarterbacks. And so I think that that's going to be uh, a huge key. But, look, it's just one of those things. I, I sense this coming from you. I sense this coming from like, – just this one of those games, just get through it and get it over with. Yep. You know, let's just get it. And even if Ole Miss wins by six, who cares? Just let's just get just get this win. Not have to talk about this freeze stuff anymore because it's, you know, you mentioned the uneasiness of the freeze thing, maybe for the fans, but he hadn't coached for Ole Miss in six years. None of these players were recruited by him at all. One player on the whole roster. Jaylen, yeah, Jalen okay, Jones. Well, Jalen Jones. That's it. Yeah, yeah, Jalen Jones. So, you're right. So for Jalen Jones, this might be super emotional. For everybody else, eh, come on. He's just a guy that used to coach at Ole Miss. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's any, any bigger deal than it would be if they were facing David Cutcliffe right now. I mean, it, it's, it's a storyline. That's all it is. Um, you know, Hugh had a good run at Ole Miss, and he had a bad ending at Ole Miss. I mean, and, oh, yeah. And, and so that's the deal. I mean, his, his legacy is complicated, all of that stuff. I, I'm, I'm more interested on, in the Ole Miss end of it and how they generate offense. And uh, can they get enough done to get Corral off the field, get Altmeyer some snaps, whatever the case may be, and get ready for, like I said, a huge game next week where they, they're going to have to get some bodies back to beat a Is this the game? Like you talk about Liberty's run defense being bad. Is this the game to use John Rice Pomley running it a little bit maybe? I don't think it would be a bad idea. I don't think it would be a bad idea at all to put him in there and, and run a few things with him as a runner, create mm -hmm. another runner. Don't put that load on Matt Corral. Let Plumlee run. Um, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I think this is this is also the game where you rotate running backs and you get everybody a bunch of carries. And from what I saw from Liberty, they don't have anybody who can contend with um, with the speed of Ely to the outside. Connor's going to hurt him between the tackles. 
Uh, this is a game that I could see Parrish breaking a long run or two. I, just from a football standpoint, put all the drama aside. From a football standpoint, I don't see how Liberty gets it done. Yeah, well, I, like I said, freeze is probably, I mean, who knows what could happen. Look out for onside kicks, fake punts, trick. One more gadget crap coming in this game than you could. I mean, you, you, you know, and so I think you got that. He's going to try to steal a couple of possessions. He's going to do everything he can on that front. Yeah, and he should. That's what he should do. I mean, his, that's why I don't know why this game got scheduled. I, I'll never understand why this game didn't get canceled. There's nothing in the world for Ole Miss to win on Saturday. No, I think they – well, my sources inside the athletic department said it was scheduled before Freeze was the coach, and they tried to get out of it, couldn't, is what I was going. This is where – I can't believe I'm saying this. This is where I'd be like, hey, Hugh, you need to make sure this game gets canceled. We know things. Yeah, we've done enough for you. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Get get us out of this one. Y'all go play somebody, and – Ole Miss could play McNeese or somebody Saturday and just get it over with. I mean, that would be – anyway, it's going to get played. I think. No, Ole- it's going to get played. It's going to be a story. And I just hope Ole Miss comes out and takes care of business because I like what you said. It's Ole Miss – I know people are down right now because the injuries and what happened at Auburn, but they're still having a spectacular season. I mean, six and two. I mean, I don't know how you could really ask for much more. And Auburn, look, Auburn's good now. Auburn's changed – since they benched Knicks in that Georgia State game, they've been playing good football. They wanted LSU. They wanted Arkansas. I know they got wiped out by Georgia, but who hadn't? I mean, that's a top 10, top 15 team now. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the expectations had been built up and whether it's just a, a, a little bit of a kind of sobering, whether it's the whole officiating thing from last week that people got real worked up about. I don't know what it is, but it's this has been one that people have taken – really hard and if you had told an Ole Miss fan before the season you're six and two going into Liberty I think they would have taken it and it's just the it's the it's the emotion of the moment I guess but for whatever reason this seems to be like a game that's really for it's been weird man I mean and and I'm talking about fans and it's hard for me to talk about fans because I'm literally basing this off things that I read on the internet on my site you know what I mean I'm not out talking to people but, like, I think they thought the LSU game was supposed to be more of a blowout than it was, and then they lose to Auburn, and, and it's just there's this kind of this – it feels deflated. But It was just – it just that Auburn game, I mean, we talked about it a week ago on here. I mean, I didn't say I was betting against Ole Miss or anything, but I was super anxious. It just – that game did not set up well at all. And I'm not – I mean, I hate to say I'm not surprised by the result because I believe in our team, but – it was just—it was a tough one, man. I mean, there's no getting around it. It went the way it was set up to go. One team was healthier than the other. One team was fresher. Saturday night game, Ole Miss playing five tough games in five weeks, man. It was just a tough yeah. spot. It was at you their know, place, it might have been different in Oxford, but you know it was there, and it's a—that's a different deal when you go on the road and they're a fresh team that's been kind of geeked up for you, and you've been playing one emotional game after the other, after the other, after the other, and you walk in there at night. And, you know, Lane Kiffin said they didn't have a lot of energy off the out, out of the gate. You could kind of see that a little bit. And Auburn had lots of energy. They were ready to roll. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I implore our fans, and especially our students, please show up on Saturday. I mean, this is – this team, you know, let's not – we can't – it's so weird because we're all in the moment week to week, and that's what you're kind of talking about here, why people are deflated this week. But let's look at the big picture. Ole Miss had that a winning season since 2015. We're 6-2 and two right now. We're having a spectacular year. This team deserves so much support. 
And this 11 a.m. thing concerns me. I really hope students get up and support this. I mean, this is a huge game. You know, I, I just think these, this team's worked so hard and has done so well. You know, I know they had a bad week last week, but this is still a great season. And, you know, if we can survive against Liberty this week, as you said, 6 p.m. kickoff next Saturday against A&M will be on fire as long as Ole Miss wins this game. So, I don't know. I just implore everyone, don't let this hangover get you here. I mean, we still got a lot ahead. I want to touch on some other games real quick. I won't keep you long at all, but you mentioned A&M. Let's talk about them. They're at home against Auburn uh, on the CBS game at 2.30. Uh, Texas A&M's a four-point favorite on the line that I'm looking at right here. What do you think about that game? I like Auburn. The road team's won this game like five or six years in a row. It's been a weird series where the home field hasn't meant anything. And I just think Auburn – I mean, it's weird because it's like you have to do a 180 on your Bo Nix evaluation. Like everything we've seen in his first two and a quarter years was trash. And then all of a sudden now he's really good. But, man, he's playing good football. And if he's playing well, they have a good defense. You know, the rest of it's been pretty good. And, you know, I just – I feel like this is a game that could go either way. The over-under is like 49 or 50. It's going to be a lower-scoring game. So, give me the team getting four or five. I mean, I think Auburn can pull out a close game here. Uh, Tennessee, a three-point – Underdog at Kentucky. Kentucky did not play three well. now. Is pick. I saw it at pick them. It went all the way oh. to three. Oh, I've got it at three, but I have this from earlier in the week. I didn't even look at the recent lines. I apologize. No, no, no worries. It was because I like Kentucky here to bounce back. I mm, thought state, okay. I thought state was a bad matchup for Kentucky because state's good up front, they're good against the run, and Kentucky kind of tries to be physical against you. You know, that's kind of their offense. Well, Tennessee's pretty soft up front. You know, Tennessee's trying to beat you with that spread offense up tempo and also just I have friends that are from Kentucky and they freaking hate Tennessee and this ought to be a really good home field advantage I think it's a bounce back spot for Kentucky off of a kind of a trappy spot at Mississippi State and I think they bounce back with a win here. Arkansas's had a week off kind of two weeks off really since the the tough loss to Auburn they, they beat up on Pine Bluff and the starters only played a half and then they had a weekend off and now they get Mississippi State coming off that big win it's so hard. You've been great on Mississippi State this year. You have – if they, it's funny. If there's one team – I've been great on, but thank you. <laughs> there's one team you've sort of just just absolutely crushed, it's Mississippi State. I can't even remember the, the, the last time you got one of their games wrong. What do you think about this one, Mississippi State on the road in Fayetteville to play a, a pretty rested Razorbacks team? Yeah, th this is one I'm kind of uneasy on. I've been dead on on them, but – uh, you know, I always like Leach teams as an underdog, but Arkansas really – Odom shut down that offense last year. And, and remember, because they played them week two yeah. after everybody anointed KJ Costello as a Heisman candidate after 600 yards <laughs> against LSU. And, and Arkansas was like an 18-point underdog and won outright. Uh, I, I think I lean Arkansas in a lower-scoring game here. Um, the thing is, though, Arkansas likes to run the ball, and State does have a pretty good run D, and so they could keep staying the game because of that. But – I like what you said. I think kind of what happened to Arkansas is similar to what happened to Ole Miss at Auburn. You know, they had the Texas win, the A&M win, but then they had to go to Georgia, to Ole Miss, Auburn at home, all in a row. And they ran out of gas at the end. And I think now that they, you know, they rightly scheduled their bye where they should, unlike Ole Miss, I expect a pretty dang good effort out of Arkansas here. And Fayetteville is a hard place to go, as all Ole Miss fans know. Uh, you know, I, I think Arkansas should bounce back here. It's hard to lay six because I just can't see this being a very high-scoring game. Um, and so six seems like a lot, but, I, I, you know, I don't know. How does, how does Arkansas 27-17 sound, you know, somewhere in there, 24-17? I think something like that. I think Arkansas is going to pull this thing out. 
just off the two-week bye, and they should be refreshed and ready to go. And Barry Odom, I got a lot of faith in Barry Odom, really good defensive coordinator. There any uh, any other college games around the country that have your attention? Um, yeah, man, not not too. It's it's interesting. The the playoff stuff is just so crazy. Uh, you know, obviously Michigan State got up there ranked high, and I get that, and that helps the Mel Tucker to LSU candidacy, um, which which we're, I'm obviously following, and Ole Miss fans are following. I certainly hope that that goes down because I don't want to deal with this lane stuff, but. I don't know. I've been watching just what's going to happen in that Big Ten because I know this week Ohio State's in Nebraska, but you still got all these matchups between Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State that are coming. And I think that's going to be fascinating. Oklahoma's the eighth seed right now, but they still play Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. So there's just so much still ahead uh, on those fronts. But I kind of was just looking more at the playoff stuff than just direct uh, direct matchups as far as this week goes. I mean, Ole Miss, Liberty, and SEC. I'll just be truthful, Neil. I'm trying to get my mind right. I'm playing a $10,000 World Series main event on Friday, and I did that NOLA trip. And so this week I'm trying to rest as much as I can. I'm flying to Vegas tomorrow afternoon. This is my sixth main event ever. I'm two out of five. But, I mean, it's a huge opportunity. There's nothing like the World Series main. And so uh, I'm kind of really on that path kind of right now. All right, we'll keep you in a second. I always ask you about NFL. Are there any yeah, NFL games that stick out? The Saints Falcons, I'm looking at the under because uh, Atlanta doesn't, now that Ridley's out, they don't really have a lot of weapons. They're kind of going through Kyle Pitts and Cordell Patterson. And I think, you know, with Taysom Hill last year, the Saints were trying to win a lot of low scoring games. They're also shortening the games, running the ball. So that's kind of uh, one, I, one I was looking at. The Packers Chiefs is crazy now that Rodgers is out with COVID. That line won to like seven and a half. I don't know what to think all that stuff, though. You know, we saw it last week when everybody jumped on the Vikings when Dak was out, and literally everybody just got fried. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious to see what happens on that. Uh, other NFL lines I'm looking at. What do you uh, think I, about this Cleveland-Cincinnati game? Cincinnati's kind of riding the roller coaster now. They, they, they beat up on Baltimore, then they uh, lay an egg against the Jets. And now That's a young team that just is learning to not establish success. Perfect. Yeah. Man, this is a spot where you got to think Cleveland's got to win this game. I mean, Cleveland needs this game. Uh, then this is a game they got to have uh, after they lost to Pittsburgh. So, I mean, this feels like a close game. I don't quite trust Cincinnati in it, I don't think, uh, to be honest. Um, in that one, uh, I still can't figure out Kirk Cousins. For everything I've known about Mississippi State, I literally can't figure out – I mean, every week I'm wrong on whether he's going to have a good game or not. It's been like six weeks in a row. Uh, and they're playing at Baltimore – and Baltimore's off a of bye, so that's kind of a tricky spot. Minnesota also lost to Neil Hunter for the year. He's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I kind of think the Chargers bounce back here. I know they've had two bad games in a row. They're fair about one and a half at Philly. I just don't believe in Jalen Hurts being an NFL quarterback. I just I just don't. He can't check to his third and fourth options. Uh, watch out for San Francisco as a one-point home dog. I kind of think they're going to catch Arizona. Kyler's got a banged-up ankle right now. And last year he got a little banged up and the offense kind of fell apart down the stretch. And if he's not as mobile, that changes a lot of situ dynamics there. Uh, one of the games I do have a strong opinion on, I actually think the Rams are going to blow Tennessee out. Uh, Tennessee, I, I know running backs are allegedly replaceable in the NFL, but they lost the one that didn't. Oh, he's a stud. He's replacing well, – And not just that their passing game runs through the play-action offense. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like Tannehill has been propped up by him for year, for the last few years. And – I don't know. I mean, it's great to see A.J. Brown healthy again. You know, he's had two really big games in a row after he was dealing with that hamstring. But 
I think they're in a bad spot. Tennessee's pass defense isn't very good either, and I think they're playing the wrong team for that. So this kind of feels like a schedule loss a little bit. And I'm looking at the under. I think Chicago-Pittsburgh is going to be 17-13, a really ugly Monday night. I'm looking at that under. Well, listen, I know you got to go. You got a trip to uh, Vegas to get ready for. Best of luck in uh, in your in your competition. We certainly will be cheering for you and look forward yeah, to it. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate it. This is a crazy – this is this is like a big glory. Oxford, New Orleans, Vegas, three in a row. Uh, big, big stretch here. But this main event is – I mean, I can't say, you know, I mean, like I really can't put into words how big it is. Uh, I'm so lucky to even have the opportunity to play it. I mean, I'm, I'm – $10,000. I mean, let's be real. That's a lot of money. I've got some investors that are putting me in and I'm lucky the people have faith in me and I'm uh, going to try to reward paying it off. And then in the, in the tradition of me trying to live it up, uh, playing the main event Friday, just might sneak into that Allegiant stadium for Rolling Stones on Saturday in Vegas too. We'll see. Might have to pull that one off. Well, I'm sure you can. I'm have, I have total faith in you. Best of luck. Enjoy it. And we uh, will look forward to visiting with you again next week, bud. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you as always for having me on the offer show. Thanks, Ben. I hope you enjoy the game. Ole Miss and Liberty, 11 a.m. Vaught Hemingway Stadium on Saturday. Our thanks to Pete DeWeese, to Ryan Brown, to Jeffrey Wright, to Ben Mintz for all of their time each and every week here on the MPW Digital Pregame Show. Don't forget to check out Walk-Ons. If you're in the Ridgeland area, 720 Highland Colony Parkway. If you are uh, in the Oxford area or you're heading up for the Vanderbilt game later this month, they're hoping to have everything open and ready to roll by then on University Avenue in Oxford. And please, when you go into walk-ons, tell them that you heard about them. Here on the uh, pregame show, the postgame show, Chase Parham will be with you at some point on Saturday with the MPW Digital postgame show brought to you by walk-ons, wrapping up Ole Miss and Liberty, talking about the rest of the day in college football, and then we'll be back again next week. Ole Miss and Texas A&M have a full preview here on our YouTube channel and at rebelgrove.com. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.